tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800 938 007, our free phone number. It won't cost you to make that call. Emma is looking after today's programme. Coming up on the show, the Wolf Tones at Electric Picnic. Why is a 60-year-old ballad group grabbing the attention of our young people? Our GP, Dr Pat Harold, will join us from Nina. More on pronunciation uh, following my chat with our good friend Dr Connor Reedy yesterday. Phil Prendergast, our agony aunt, will answer your emails. And relationships mentor uh, Susan O'Donoghue on balancing your own self-care while caring for others. So all of that and much, much more on the way. As usual, you can uh, text and WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tip today at tipfm.com. Let's have a look at what's making headlines today. The Irish Daily Mail, their uh, main story, one of the country's busiest hospitals has pleaded with the Gardaí to provide more patrols because of open drug dealing in its A&E department and indeed rising antisocial behaviour as well. The Irish Times and their uh, lead story, the Police Service of Northern Ireland, the PSNI, uh, the Chief Constable there, Simon Byrne, has resigned with immediate effect, stating it is now time for somebody new to lead the force. Also on the Times today, our corporation tax receipts fell sharply in August, down €1 billion on the same month last year, I suppose raising fears really about the volatility of this key source of revenue to the exchequer, the Irish Examiner, and uh, their main story, uh, cyber-bullied children as young as eight years old are suffering in silence with the um, with almost half of primary age children not telling their parents and almost a third telling nobody at all. Also, uh, right across uh, the newspapers today, there's uh, news of the crime boss, John Gilligan. He said he felt nothing about the murder of journalist Veronica Guerin because her death did not matter to him. And Gilligan, the leader of the gang responsible for killing Miss Guerin, um, has begun telling stories of his life of crime in the three-part Virgin Media uh, documentary Confessions of a Crime Boss. Now, I didn't get to see this last night. Uh, because I got confused as to what channel it was on. Don't ask. Anyway, um, if you did get to see the first uh, in that series of uh, three programmes last night, you might like let us know what what did you think uh, about it. I, I saw the Minister Helen McEntee coming out today and saying that she would not uh, watch it at all. So I'm just wondering, if you saw it, what did you think of it? And, of course, the danger here, I suppose, is the glorification of people like Gilligan. Um, also on the uh, examiner today, more than 300 motorists were caught speeding yesterday despite a surge in road deaths over the last month and numerous uh, public appeals to slow down. Finally, a look at uh, The Independent and its back to cyberbullying. But their uh, angle on this is that the levels of cyberbullying, uh, contact from strangers and exposure to sexual or violent content uh, that 8 to 16 year olds face online is detailed in a new report but uh, one in four children aged 8 to 12 experienced online bullying in the past year and it was even worse for 12 to 16 year olds with 2 and 5 victimised but girls suffer most 
with 43% reporting that they were targets compared with 30% of boys. And that's very worrying. Uh, for everybody, particularly, I suppose, for parents out there. Anyway, if you want to make comments on any of that, 83 Now, the Wolf Tones have astonished many music lovers by performing for the biggest crowd in Electric Picnic's Electric Arena in the festival's 19-year history. Now, the band formed 60 years ago have tapped into the, I suppose, the whole mood of 2023 with uh, rebel songs written and released years before many of the picnickers were even born. An electric picnic spokesperson said the Wolf Tones drew the biggest crowd ever to the arena with fans enjoying the music inside and outside the tent, singing along to every song. Now, last month, the band's lead vocalist, it says here, which isn't true, of course, um, Tommy Byrne is the lead vocalist, but uh, Brian Warfield is the songwriter and banjo player with the Wolf Tones. And he clashed live on air with uh, Joe Duffy on a live line. He felt he was ambushed at that uh, point, but of course it drove um, the uh, Celtic Symphony uh, to number one in the charts. A good friend of the show, Timmy Hammersley, uh, joins me now. Timmy, good morning to you. Good morning, Frank. Thanks for the call. You're very welcome, and thank you for taking our call. I really enjoyed your sarcastic tweet saying that Joe Duffy really had a detrimental impact on the popularity of the Wolf Tones, and you posted that over a video of a very ecstatic crowd enjoying the Tones. Timmy, what what do you make of this? Yeah, sure. I suppose you probably get from my tweet that mean the kind of general angle that I'd be coming at it from. Um, I kind of think there's too much. I think there is like probably two broad points going on that I probably think of when I see what's happened or read about what's happening. Like the uh, Celtic Symphony is obviously the song that's been be, that's been uh, referenced and being uh, and being uh, talked about to a degree. But I kind of think there's two other stuff going on. Um, if you look a little bit on social media and that, like there's a demographic out there. France just criticising the, the Wolf Tones for all their songs. You mean for Grace, for Foggy Dew, whatever, Sean South from Gary Owen's songs that I was brought up singing, and so on. So I, I think there is a push again, you know, any form of Irish rebel songs kind of thing, we should be gone past that, why we still talking about those elements so that's one thing I kind of see happening and I strongly disagree with that like I mean I think we should be well my opinion is we we should always remember those who struggled for the freedoms that we enjoy today and the other thing is when I see happening and you reference the Joe Duffy thing and my tweet the more Particularly young people, the more they're told, not just young people, me as well, and I'm not that young, the more we're told, oh, you shouldn't sing that, you can't sing that, people find that very off, off, people find that very off, people find that very offensive. What's the very thing people will do? They'll push against that, you know? Mm. And that's kind of, I've seen that particularly with, Kind of Irish Republicanism, Irish history. Generally, there is an art about it that we should be on beyond that. We shouldn't be talking about that. We shouldn't be remembering our patriot uh, dead and so on. And if you look at the other two things I'd recall around that, the Black and Tan commemoration. Mm, okay. Yes. Yeah. So 
That was kind of, no, I'd actually, no, sorry, it wasn't the Black and Dad, sorry. It was the RIC, sorry, I, I'm wrong. The, the RIC commemoration that was flagged by Charlie Flanagan's department. I can't remember what he was, what department he was in, but he was kind of, uh, he was kind of, uh, he was kind of uh, heading that. I'd actually no problem with the RIC really being commemorated. But the problem is it was being shoved down people's throat with any kind of conversation around it. And the people that were driving it wouldn't be complimentary to our own actual freedom fighters. So that's the issue I had there. And then the Ireland's women's team, like obviously, yes. if you remember, when they sang it in the dressing room after the match, the initial main reaction was a bit of criticism. But then when the Sky News thing came in and your man, the reporter, asking... Do, do you know what happened in the past and so on? Like, what arrogance from a Sky News presenter asking an, an Irish person, to, do they know about stuff that happened in the past? And then just this zealous, over-the-top criticism of the girls. It drove people the exact opposite way. Do you know what I mean? So they, they, that's kind of a commonality of things that I've seen happening there. There is a push against any kind of Republican song that I was brought up to sing. And then the further you drive people, tell them what they can and can't do. What will young people do in particular? They, they will They'll go rebel, of so, course, yeah. And, and that's what I meant about the Joe Duffy. I think that zealous criticism has actually drove people um, the opposite way. And that generally happens, Fran, in my experience. Yeah, I, I, I think you're dead right about it. I'm making a comparison as well, and I wonder, would you agree, agree with me, Timmy, too? Uh, to punk rock. I mean, at the time, a lot of the lyrics in punk rock songs was anarchic, you know, and, yeah, you know, yeah. anarchism and all of that. But that didn't mean that every kid who was a fan of punk rock was an anarchist, you know. Yeah, in, in the yeah. same way as all those young people at Electric Picnic singing Ua Up the Ra, they, they weren't advocating that they would all go and support the IRA. Yeah. It was a chant. It was a... I, I, you know, it was a grouping of people together having a bit of crack. Yeah, but yeah, I, 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 I broadly agree, Fran. But I also do want to find out, like, there is a resurgence in young people. Like, I was on this topic, I think, nearly a year ago, talk, talking about it, Fran. There is a resurgence in young people. The unity of this island is is broadly the interest is increasing in it. Uh, young people are like it's not top of their agenda. But when it's brought up, young people see potential for the uh, future. They see the 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 they see the opportunities there. They want to move beyond the the. See what 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 I find in what I find interesting as well. Maybe some of the older generation criticising young people to go away from that, as they call it, glorification or violence. I think it's actually some of the older people they're stuck in the past. Do you mean they're not? They're kind of, they haven't moved beyond the conflict. They haven't moved beyond the troubles that happened in the, in the, in the, uh, in the uh, six counties. Like, it's 25 years since the, since the uh, Good Friday Agreement. And I don't think when we, well, if we want to criticise, right, who are uh, up there, well, I think we also need to have an honest conversation about the conflict up there as well. And it wasn't just Republicans. Who who killed people? It wasn't just mean. It was violence on all sides. And sometimes, like if I'm honest, particularly when I was uh, maybe not as bad now, but, but when I was growing up, like I I read the papers, Irish Independence, all that. Like 
at times you'd only think it was only Republicans were the only mm. people mm. who caused violence to kill people as well. So I think there's a narrative among young people who are interested in a broader conversation, an honest conversation about what actually happened and are much more open to the potential of the future of the island, which is the future is, uh, is, uh, is, is in my opinion, is, uh, is, uh, is, uh, is uh, United Ireland. And I think young people seem to be a lot more open to that than the older generation yeah, I, I who, are fi- still, who, who are still caught in the mindset of the troubles, you know. Yeah, yeah, I find that very interesting, what you're saying, because we had a young man on with us yesterday, Timmy, called Paul, and he was there. He was in the tent yeah. for this. And like yourself, he was making that point that, you know, the idea of a united Ireland, uh, maybe the the support of Sinn Féin, all playing into this feeling of nationalism in some in some sort of way with our younger people. But what is wrong with a bit of a state of that? Yeah. See, yeah. When, sometimes, Fran, see, Irish nationalism, from my experience, in my opinion, is anti-colonialism. Like, sometimes people think of English nationalism, French nationalism, American nationalism in terms of Trump, yeah? Yes, uh, a right, right-wing right stuff, yeah. See, yeah. see colonialism, that's, they're hopping back to the colonial days, yes. what they want. I mean, the Irish nationalism, people who are anti-Irish nationalism, and there's both, Fran, uh, Fran, I've never voted Sinn Féin, but I'm a nationalist, I'm an Irish nationalist in terms of, in terms of Irish unity. The unification of the island is not owned, should not be owned by any one party, or anyone else, but I strongly defend Irish nationalism. Yes, it's not perfect. Violence, unjustified by unjustified violence happens, but particularly the nationalism in Irish cause is an anti-imperialism thing generally, in my in my opinion, and aims towards the unification of the island, which is a very healthy thing. And just going back to the thing about what that young person might have been saying as well, Fran. See, we, we kind of focus too much on that song. And look, I'm not. I mean, I don't think it's a good song. Mm. I mean, I, 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 that's something I necessarily... I, I, I can't sing, Fran, but I like singing. And if I'd be singing, I'd be definitely singing something like Grace over uh, Celtic... 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 Symphony. But again, the song... Zealous criticism of the song is a distraction in some way. Mm. And... Actually, the reconciliation plan in the six counties, and there's a long way to go, but stuff that has happened hasn't been credited, really. Like you and Michelle, Michelle O'Neill, the Sinn Féin president, uh, sympathised with King, or um, was that the ordination, or whatever they call it, of Prince Charles. Yes. That yeah. would have been unheard of 20 years ago. Like, do you mean? So we're kind of caught in this cycle of, and I kind of think sometimes people do it intentionally as well, they want to blow up criticisms around the song because they want to blunt mm. discussions around the real opportunities and the future. Yeah, but you, you well. have to be very careful about songs. I mean, there you are saying that, you know, you like the song Grace. But, I mean, I could read into that, Timmy, and say that is a song that is over-romanticising um, a gentleman, Joseph Mary Plunkett, namely, who uh, thought that the only way forward for this country at that particular time was uh, a violent insurrection. Do, do, yeah. do you know what I'm saying? You, you can read into oh, so course, many songs. Tell, tell Ukrainian fighters on the front line that the only way forward is not some bit of fighting as well. Actually. You know what I mean? Yeah, very so good point. Very, yeah. like, it's very kind of... One, like, it's very... It, what I, my kind of core, it's very easy to say 
they were terrorists. The violence is wrong, and you lose the you lose the um, you lose the honest conversation around the whole thing as well. You know what I mean? That's the kind of yeah. That that's my that's my broad. It's very easy. Sure, anyone can come up and say singing "Ooh, after uh, is terrorist supporting. It's wrong. Anyone can come up and say those that that um, that put themselves into the GPO. In 1916, they were terrorists. They were kind of. They didn't have the support of the of the of of the of the of the of the of the of the people and so on. But I mean, like I I think actually Joe Brawley has a very. And I'm not sure if you heard Joe Brawley talk a lot about Islam, but he has, in my opinion, has a lot of insight into it. He's very unafraid to be critical of the provisional IRA and a lot of the actions that were done, but actually fundamentally stands by the 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 situation at the time and the oppression of the Catholic uh, community mm. and for yes. right or wrong, when that exists, the environment for violence also ex- exists as well. Like, there is a... In the South, Tran, we probably haven't come to terms with it as well, and we I, I very rarely heard honest conversations around this uh, Fran, but I'm not sure if you saw as well a recent survey of uh, the Catholic Irish population in the in the in the six counties. Eighty percent of them, Fran, in that survey now feel that the that the conflict by the provision IRA was in some way justified. Wow. Wow, which, which is a that, big step, and we, that that we, brings we me. Haven't, which we haven't come to terms with that, Fran, yeah. and I think that conversation. And I mean, I'm always delighted to come on the show, but I think you should have someone from from Ulster as well, maybe if you could as well, you know, and actually chat around that stat. You know what I mean? Why do they now feel that in some way that it was inevitable or it was justified? But then some people say, well, do you justify any skilling or just who in the right mind would justify? Things like, like things like that, but that there was going to be a campaign given yes. the circumstances. But you see, Timmy, I, I think we're afraid of that discussion, and we have avoided that discussion, uh, a forensic discussion on that for, for many years. I Can I ask you a final question, though, yes. Timmy? If you were a politician. And I, I, I'm thinking of the, the greater ramifications of what we saw at Electric Picnic. What would you take from tens of thousands of youngsters supporting? A Republican band, and and let's let's not be naive about this. That's what they've made their success out of for for many decades. And I know the boys very well, and they wouldn't shy away from that. So, what do you, if you were a politician, what would you read into that if you were going to the people in the coming years? I I think I'm probably going to repeat what I said there, Fran. I would read into that instead of just condemning Catholics in the north with a partitionist attitude all the time. Uh, that we need to actually engage in an in an honest conversation. And you know what? Actually, trying and as hard as it is, no matter what party you're on, take Sinn Fein out of it because because they're growing in popularity now. Too often that seems to be brought into it. And actually, the honest, genuine conversation. Why did it start? What happened? Uh, how did it conclude? Should it have concluded early? That conversation instead of black and white conversation. What is wrong? what is right. I think politicians would have a lot more to gain about that. You see now, a lot of politicians, Fran, came out the time of the Ireland soccer team, yeah? If yeah. you remember that. Yeah, very I do. Quick. Yeah. So, pretty quite now, aren't they? You don't very... see too many politicians now. You know, they've realised the mood of 
of the kind of is, and instead of condemning young people, engage with them on the topic, I think there's much more bang for your buck well, in I, terms of there. But I think the, the conclusion I'm making, Fran, is that conversation that I think the South has abided. I think we should embrace a lot more and get away from this black and white, wrong and right, because it was wrong and right on all sides of the conflict there, you know? Yeah. Timmy, it's always a pleasure, yeah. and we appreciate your time, yeah. Timmy. Thanks Frank, very much indeed. Frank, Frank, can I just get in something very quickly? Of course you Frank. can, of I course. Listen, I listen, Fran, to your shows, because I'm in Dublin, I'm not at home that often. Mm. I listen, Fran, very closely to your shows with the tragedies in Tramel and Cashin. And I just want to say a huge compliment to yourself, Fran, and the show, just how he handled it, how he got the voice of the people out there. I just found it top class and just give you huge credit to Tip FM and the show that you run, all right? Timmy, that's very kind of you. Thank you indeed. Yeah. And you look after yourself, Timmy. Always yeah. a pleasure. Thanks, Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye to you. Now, that's the wonderful Timmy Hammersley there speaking to us uh, this morning. I had to look back, you know... <laughs> You know, when you examine your conscience about songs, and as you know, I played music and recorded music all of my life, and I was looking back at some of the Bard's old songs, and one of the songs that we had a bit of success with over the years was Follow Me Up to Carlo. You know, now I know that many bands have recorded this, including Planksty, wonderful job. But I was looking at some of the, the lyrics, you know. I mean, one of the... Sets of lyrics from Follow Me Up to Carlo is White is sick, grey is fled, now for black Fitzwilliam's head, and we send it over dripping red to Queen Liza and her ladies. I mean, there's there's bloodthirsty uh, for you. Or one of my favourite folk songs of all time has to be Arthur McBride, a great Paul Brady version of it in, in, in particular. But just a couple of lines from that as well. Um, we paid no respect to their two bloody backs for we lathered them like they were a pair of wet sacks and we left them for dead in the morning. And what about our national anthem? If you look at the English uh, translation of that, uh, just a couple of lines from it as well. Tonight we manned the Barnabuel in Aaron's cause come war we'll mid cannons roar and rifles peal we'll chant a soldier's song. Isn't it interesting? I mean, and then you have other songs. I mean, just because you sing Molly Malone, are you endorsing prostitution? Because Molly Malone was a prostitute. And the wonderful song that is the old triangle. I mean, part of that is about a guy's yearning to be in a female prison. And you can be certain it wasn't for intellectual pursuits. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Yeah, somebody else uh, pointing out the lyrics of Sean South of uh, Gary Owen. And uh, now in fairness, the Wolftones, of course, have recorded and they sing that song all the time as well. Um, but just a couple of lines from that, I mean, <laughs> if you want bloodthirsty songs, I mean, by comparison with the Celtic Symphony, uh, like Sean South says, but the sergeant foiled at their daring plan and he spied them through the door. From the guns and all the rifles to a hail of death did pour. And when that awful night was o'er, two men lay as cold as stone. There was one from near the border and one from uh, Gary Owen. So the nature of these songs are describing these uh, 
these events, uh, these skirmishes. Cathy McCarthy uh, was on, and Cathy says, uh, talking about the Wolf Tones, we are Irish, and that's the music that we are drawn to. But I watched the, the John Gilligan uh, programme last night. He's laughter, he's smugness, um, and he should not be given airtime. Now, that's going along with, I think where uh, Minister McEntee is coming from as well. And again, if you saw that last night, I'd love your opinion. Kathleen, thanks for that. Uh, somebody else reminding me that Enda Kenny had the Wolf Tones play as Fianna Gael a bash some years ago, and that's very true indeed. You'd wonder who made that decision. But anyway, the youth of today are more educated and will and should sing the songs that are part of our past says a listener. Somebody else saying, Fran, Electric Picnic was unreal. One of the best weekends of my life. Not a bit of trouble. The sound was brilliant for all the performers. I will say, except for the Wolf Tones for some reason, and this was a pity. In saying that, they were very good and fair play to them for drawing such a huge crowd uh, at this stage of their lives that should be very proud. Now, the only thing, sound has been the bane of my life for as long as I can remember. The only thing I will say uh, there is they were in a marquee and certainly some of the worst sound I've ever come across in my life um, have been in marquees. So I can understand where that is coming from. Helen joins me now. Helen, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well, Helen. What are you making of this furore over the uh, Wolf Tones and, uh, you know, all of this about the huge crowd that they attracted at Electric Picnic? What are you making of it? Well, first, in the first place, I was delighted to hear that the Wolf Tones, after being in playing for 60 years, grew the biggest crowd ever at Electric Picnic. That speaks for itself. You know, it's been going through the media, oh, people are divided. They are, mayhaps. The thousands of people who flooded in to listen to the Wolf Tones speaks for itself. That they got huge support and people were singing along and really enjoying the music. Um, there's a big focus on the Celtic Symphony. Mm. And I wonder how many people know that actually Celtic Symphony is set in Glasgow. Yeah. It's about a drunken sailor who's probably either off his head in DTs or drunk or off his head in something. Yeah, he feels that and he's he been could... chased around the world by the devil. So you're, you're right. Yes. There's an element of that to it, big time, yeah. And the graffiti he sees on the wall mm. is, oh, uh, up the ra. There's nothing there as such that is in support of the the Ra. And one of the guys in the Wolf Tone said the Ra could be anything you want it to be. It could be the IRA, it could be Ra, the Egyptian god. And I heard him say that. And and look, yeah. but let's not be naive here about this either, no. Helen. I mean, you know, they, they, there's an element of rebellion in it when, when people are singing you uh, up. Uh, the ra- now, it might necessarily mean that they, they want to support the IRA, but it's just a sort of a kickback to the the powers that be or something. Could it be seen as that? I think so. Well, look, when I sing it, I give it Willie. Yes. You know? And and, and you're and, not a uh, card-carrying member of the IRA or anything, Helen? No, I am not. And, yes. But I used to be a card-carrying member of Sinn Féin. Right, right. Yeah, I no longer am. But the thing about this is that it's almost as if we as a people have to be apologetic about the IRA. Let us not forget the part that they did play in the north of Ireland. Now, I've heard from so many of my friends who were being punished because they were Catholics in the six counties. Mm-hmm. And it was the IRA who actually brought about their 
they're beginning their freedom because they, look at what happened in Derry. Right, Helen, um, but I have to point out to you that in the, in the, pro- but in the process in the process of all that, unnecessarily, as most people would see it, so many people died. So many families were Absolutely, wrecked, you know. but it wasn't just the IRA. Uh, absol- so abso- many I other organisations. Com- completely, completely. But yes. I'm just making the point, unnecessarily, so many people died. You know, oh, I, innocent you know, people. War is stupid. Yes. It is just... I agree with after you. I it agree. comes to an end at some stage. They sit down, do peace negotiations, mm. and there's no real thought given to the thousands and thousands or maybe millions yes. of people who have died. But you look at what's uh, happening in yeah. Ukraine, Helen, and nobody's yes. talking about peace, you know? We have no, Irish politicians war. going out there for, for photo ops, and, and nobody's saying anything about peace, you know? No, they're not, because war for... War is actually good for the economy of certain countries. Yes, you yeah. can bet your bottom dollar that Zelensky isn't dragging around and he's arse wondering where is he going to get the new, I get a change of underpants. Mm. You know, he isn't. He hasn't been dispossessed of his home. Look at the hundreds and thousands of Ukrainians who had to leave the country and are flooding in and are now are beginning to cause problems in the in the country into which they're flooding. Not their fault. But I actually think Zelensky should get the finger out and start protecting his people and stop this dispossession of their lands because that's really what's happening to them. The poor now, guys. Now it goes poor without people. it goes without say that the uh, saying that the conversation we're having is not endorsing what Russia did uh, by you know. Oh no no it's not. But yeah, they need course, to sit down and do peace. Do you, oh gosh. You know I heard no. a lovely saying over the weekend and I think it really sums everything up, Helen. I'm, I'm not sure would you agree, but a bad peace is better than a good war. I absolutely agree with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Because yeah. there, there's no, no good war, is there? What is it saying to you, though, that our young people now seem to be embracing ballads and embracing this kind of music? What is that telling you, Helen? I think maybe they are starting to realise what past generations have been speaking to, have been saying to them. And it was, I would imagine it was particularly brought to a point by the those young women of the of our Irish football team that because in the privacy of their dressing room yes. they were singing oh, uh, up the ra and the media absolutely vilified yeah, them for doing that and the loyalists absolutely went to town on them and then shortly after that um, a group of people in the departure, departure lounge in Dublin Airport were heard singing exactly that refrain and the loyalists absolutely went berserk again the very people who think it's okay to burn effigies of living people on their bonfires. Well, do you, remember, do you remember in 2019 when the Northern Ireland uh, soccer team fans were singing unbelievable stuff about Catholics and uh, the Pope and, you know, really, really... Yes, and that was okay because the loyalists themselves have pretty awful songs. And yet, here's the thing, the media swing tells us don't worry about that that's okay but there is, seems to be almost we need to be apologetic for being republican irish and republican irish doesn't mean that i'm going to go out and get a gun and shoot the head off anyone i wouldn't even know how which end of a gun to hold and you, you know, don't and, and, and you wouldn't believe person. and you wouldn't believe in anything like that anyway no i'm not at all, i'm not at all violent you know yeah. not one bit I've never hurt any person. And again, I mean, I made my living from singing Irish songs for for donkey's years. And if I look back on the... I mean, if we were to not sing songs that had an element of 
violence to them or an element of storytelling of violent events, we'd, we'd have very little to sing about. <laughs> we would have, and which to our history is violent. So should we, for the sake of, I don't know, that, that horrible political, expression, political, the directors, yeah. political correctness, yeah. should we forget about our past and sing, uh, I don't know, Ring a Ring a Rosie, which, oh, by the way, is the most dreadful song because it's about the, uh, the plague. It is, and death, isn't it? It's about death. death yeah. yeah, and we all, yeah. the people sneezed, they were getting sick, we all fired on dead. Yeah, so, you know, that's not even a good one. Yeah. So if we need to be politically correct, there's very little we can sing. And we need to be proud of our history. If it had not been for the, the men and the women of 1916, we would... Um, we would probably be still under the, uh, the the fist of England. All right. So all in all, then, um, just Paul made the point yesterday that he he was reading more into um, the event at Electric Picnic than I was even, and he was saying that this is all about maybe the younger people looking at the possibility of a united Ireland now and seeing that as a very distinct uh, possibility. And w- would you go so far as that, Helen? I think that may well be what the young people are hoping for. Um, but if you ask me, would I see a united Ireland? I would think that if we if we have that, we will definitely have a war because we, there are people living in the north of Ireland who absolutely don't want that. Yes. You so, know, so you think that I, would result in, in a violent uh, uprising again, would it? Uh, yes, if yes. because really, in a way, look what has happened in Ukraine. The Russians, the Russian invasion has partly been fueled by the fact that there are parts of the Ukraine that wanted to go back to Russia. Yeah. And that wasn't being allowed. Yeah, no, so, nobody's talking about that either, funnily enough. No, they're not, and they're not talking about the violence towards those people before the Ukraine war. The people in the Ukraine, there were people that had been killed for their beliefs way before that madman in Russia invaded. Helen, real pleasure, and thank you for your time today, and uh, good morning to you. That's Helen. Let's go to uh, Teresa now. Teresa, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. How are you? And, and good to talk to you. You describe yourself as being very proud of uh, the Celtic Symphony? I, yeah, I, listen, it's our history. We can't rule out history. We can go forward. Yeah. But I don't think we have the right to remove all our history as Irish either. I mean, go forward with peace a thousand percent, no problem. Um, I mean, the Wolf Tones, I've seen them about four times now mm. in my life. And one proud thing, I was born in 1963, the year they were formed. Um, the Wolf Tones sing about history. Now, not just the Celtic sy- Symphony. If you go back, say, to the Flight of Earls, yes. the streets of New York. I- immigration it's songs. History, and, yeah. Immigration yeah. songs, and it's true songs. And the best part is, I can't understand how come as Irish people and the Irish media here, not all now, Fran, I'm just saying this on a local No problem, Teresa, section, yeah. yeah. Um, downgrade them, because you go to America, you go to Canada with them, well, my God, does it make you proud mm. to be Irish? Now, again, nothing to do with the agro and the fighting and the whole lot. But today, I think the younger generation does see that them songs means a lot to them because they are the ones emigrating again today. Over the years, nothing has changed. Ireland is still sending out our youth. We're still the ones in the airports. And they're looking for them planes, as the saying is in the flight of Earth, to go both ways. 
Yes. But there's nothing bringing them back here to go that way. So they do make their life everywhere else. So for any Irish, American, Irish, Canadian, Irish, Australian, whatever, they're, they're connected to the roots. And the Wolf Tones brings that connection to the Irish roots. It's a very, very good point uh, indeed. And you're right, they do sing songs uh, other than... Republican songs, they sing political songs, they sing songs, as you say, of emigration and all of that uh, as well. Why do you think that the powers that be are so afraid of what they witnessed over the weekend? Why are they afraid of this? Because that certainly comes across to me. There's a fear about our young people singing these songs. I think they're afraid because they're finding out at long last that the young people of Ireland cannot be thrown under certain uh, rules and certain politics, that the young people of Ireland are fairly well educated today and they know their own minds. And I think that's where the divide comes in, because years ago we were told to do what you were supposed to do and that was it. You're supposed, if your family uh, followed a certain political organisation, you were supposed to follow it. But I think today's world, it has changed a bit different. Um, You see younger people are more in contact, more realistic, see what they have in future, and they realise their past is their past. Plus the fact they grew up. I think a lot of it, I mean, when I, if I go back into the 70s, I wouldn't have known much about what the songs actually meant mm. back then that was there. But now that I've grown up, read my history, know my history, I can now see what they mean to people and how heart, soul, and they are in that way. And for fear fear that people might think, Teresa, that, you know, it's it's a bunch of 70-year-olds singing these songs. I mean, there's a lot of young lads in great ballad groups nowadays as well. A fantastic group in Tipperary Rebel Hearts who are out there singing all these songs, the Tumbling Pennies, the Whistling Donkeys. And again, they're playing largely to, to young people in what would be rock venues. Exactly, Fran. And you know what? I think that is the most loveliest thing because... It is our history. We're not forgetting it. Our youth is uh, always in, in the history of Ireland, no matter what. And I'm just going to quote a very beautiful uh, thing I came across this morning. Now, I don't know the writer of it, but I thought this was lovely when I was reading it. Our heritage is something that you cannot learn. Our heritage has to be born within us. We're Irish. So... That's where it is. And the same with any of the other countries, and not just say in Ireland, Canadians have their heritage, American English have their heritage, and I think we all express it in different ways. Our way in the past is we weren't allowed to maybe talk about it, as some of the previous said, mm. but we brought it out in poem and in song. I think that was our way of expressing. I go back to the penal times when you couldn't have mass in Ireland and the way it was done illegally and the poems that was brought out about it. You know, we have to look at that. We've had fantastic songwriters, fantastic poets that has brought our history out. So, I mean, mm. that's what it's all about. And, like. and in the past, and maybe, uh, I'm sure you're younger than me, Teresa, but, you know, our generation, we, we were fearful about having this kind of discussion. You know? Yeah, we, we, we were, were. We were fearful about saying that we enjoy these songs and we want to sing these songs as well, you know? But this is what I'm saying, Frank. Yeah. You were fearful because you were afraid. You didn't want to talk. Yes. I think the best thing now is the talks and the negotiations and seeing what goes on. I, I As the saying is, talk to both north, south, east, west, whatever way you like to call it. You have to talk to find out people's 
you know what I mean, impressions of yeah. today's, yeah. of the past. And I mean, that's one of the only way of doing it. And I think the Wolf Tones, we have to commend them, along with a lot of other Irish bands, but especially the Wolf Tones, on what they have done in history for Ireland and how they've spoke out. What did you make of Joe Duffy coming out? I mean, I'm not sure if you heard the piece, but I, I was listening to it and he was extremely insulting to Brian Warfield, I, I have to say. Now, Brian held his own largely, but he was extremely insulting to him and he called it, a, you know, that was a rubbish song. They were a rubbish band and, uh, you know, um, wh- what did you make of that from a national broadcaster? Well, I thought, number one, very derogatory from a national broadcaster and I said, number two, if he was as good as the Wolf Tones and if he was as famous as the Wolf Tones is today, would he be saying the same thing? Yeah, well, the young people certainly answered his critique of the Wolf Tones <laughs> in terms of their support over the weekend, that's for sure. Uh, Teresa, real pleasure as always. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you, Fran. Okay, I was going bye. to ask you for a bar of a song, Teresa, but... <laughs> oh, God, now, listen, you don't want to close the radio station down this early yet. <laughs> Look after yourself, Teresa. <laughs> I can tell you, I'll sing along with the best of them when it comes to the Rebels. <laughs> I'm sure you will indeed. I'm sure you will. Garmila Mahagat, Teresa, thank you indeed. All right, we'll take a break back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Somebody pointing out to me uh, the fields of Athen Rye. And again, you can read into to lyrics, uh, if you will. Uh, but uh, in this particular case, uh, it says, uh, Our love was on the wing. We had dreams and songs to sing. And uh, the other aspect of that that the listener is pointing out as well. And nothing matters, Mary, when you're free against the famine and the crown. I rebelled. They cut me down. And now you must raise our child with uh, dignity. All right, then. Let us go on to a different uh, topic. Uh, We've been discussing the the various pronunciations of words on the programme following my chat with uh, Dr. Connor Reedy. It sparked quite a lot of engagement as well. And Seamus joins me now. Seamus, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Good to talk to you, Seamus. You feel strongly about the word incredible. Is it completely overused, Seamus? The the word incredible is used continually in place of extremely. For instance, uh, some time ago, Gordon Brown, who got a roasting from the British press, said he was incredibly upset what he meant was he was extremely upset. Yes. Incredibly upset would mean that he shouldn't have been Yes, or upset that you, would, you wouldn't believe how it, him being upset. Yes, I see your point. <laughs> very you good. Yes, very and good, you, yeah. Yeah, and you will hear that. I listen to radio a lot. I'm kind of bedbound. And I listen to radio a lot. And in the course of any day, you will hear incredibly being used in the instance I have just uh, informed you of. All the time, the incredibly is used in where people meant extremely. And it is actually a contradiction in terms. Do you know, I never thought of that, and I probably do that myself when I, when I think of it, James. I, 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 I must confess, and I don't want to upset you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you you. Yeah, but isn't that a... And I wonder how many more words do we use like that? Because the one that troubles me greatly is literally, 
Because people say that all the time, as if they need to qualify what they're going to say. Yeah, I sometimes have a problem with that myself. But incredible, it's used, used, used all the time in in place of extremely, was what they actually meant. Yeah, but answer me this Uh, now, Seamus. How does that sneak in to the canon of language then in that way? How does it sneak into the vernacular? Well, if you were to... (laughs) If you were to go into proper Fowler's use of British language, you'd be talking to the wrong man because, because I'd be the last person in the world to be to, 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 to be able to explain it to you properly because I wouldn't know much about it. Yeah. But what I hear quite a lot is in the House of Commons, you'll hear that David Cameron was great at it. He'd say... Uh, uh, he, he, he'd say to, to, to uh, his opposite number, the Labour Party, get your facts right. And the other fellow would shout back at him, no, you get your facts right. <laughs> and an actual fact, if they're saying what they're saying is a fact, <laughs> it can't be wrong. Very good. Do you get my drift? Yes, yes, I get your drift. <laughs> That's very good, yeah. Get your facts right, get your facts right. And they're both agreeing with each other as they are contradicting each other at the same time. (laughs) And get your facts right. You're going to have me analysing every single sentence now, Seamus. You know that, don't you? (laughs) No, no, don't you. Don't you. That would take the juice out of of your programme, that you're not infallible. Uh, But of course, our, our... or to use the home of the mismatch and remarkable wording. For instance, some time ago, a broadcaster, when asked how she was, an RT broadcaster, she was asked how she was, she said, I'm fantastic. <laughs> Just imagine if Fran Curry on our TPFM mentioned some morning when he was asked, how are you, Fran? I'm fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> It would there be a bit over the top, Seamus, all right, yeah. There would be, there would be, there would be uproar from, from certain quarters, <laughs> probably from Joe Duffy. But, but, yes. but the other yeah. thing she said of far more significance is she said how you should behave if you want to get achieved success in RTE. Yeah. And her answer was so explosive, Fran, I wouldn't dream of saying it over the air. Right. But I can, I can tell you off air if you wish. Right. And now you have but, us all intrigued yeah. now, Seamus. Was, it, was, there, was there bad language used or something? Uh, no, it wasn't bad language used at all. It's just, I can't elaborate on okay. how you should behave if you want to achieve success. In RTE. Oh, I think I and, get what you're getting at there. Right, okay. Yeah, and, the, yeah. and the statement she made was printed later on in, in I think, through the paper, the Mail on Sunday. Yeah. And I have a cutting of it somewhere, and I might send it to you if I can find it. Oh, please do, please do. I'd, lo- I'd love to see that. And, you know, speaking, it sounds like we're bashing our national broadcaster again. Well, anyway, um, do, do you think standards, have they slipped... Uh, greatly in terms of because I know guys who are being paid big money on national radio now and 20 years ago there's no way in the world would they have gotten a job on radio yeah oh, the standards have gone, have gone through the floor and you see what you have what you have in, in, in RTE in the national broadcaster is 
you had a bunch of dictators that took it over about 30 years ago. And they've been steadily increasing their influence on the Irish people as a whole. They're shaping their minds. And as you have often said, the single narrative. Yes, yeah. And if you upset people in RTE, you will go down with some producers on some of the programmes. You will go down, if you're good enough to outwit them in their debate, you'll go on a blacklist and you won't be allowed on. Yeah, it's, it's it's very interesting. And it does play into the conversation we've been having about the Wolf Tones there. I'm not sure if you heard the Joe Duffy uh, interview with Brian Warfield, but Cheney Mack, it was a bit of an attack on somebody as opposed to having a conversation, you know. And maybe more would have been gained from a conversation as opposed to an attack. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, well, people like Joe Duffy, you see, what happened, I remember 20, 30 years ago when I used to be criticising RTE, in, uh, on the Clonmel Nationalists, for instance, and often my father said to me, ignore him, he said, leave them up and up, and they'll hang themselves in the end. Mm. And that is actually what happened. Yeah, if you come on, if you ring up with, say, the Joe Duffy show, and you want to speak about one particular thing, if they don't want to, you won't be left on. And then sometimes when they are on, they complain to Joe about different things, and Joe kind of glibly says, well, you're on now, aren't you? Yes, but he's not yes. mentioning all the other people who were trying to get on and, and who, who will never get on. You've really started something here, Seamus, because people are coming up with ideas themselves. Uh, it says here, Fran, tell Seamus that the most used word now is perfect. In a world that's far from perfect, it's used all the time, says Des. And somebody else making one that'll interest you, Seamus, it says, people say, awfully nice. <laughs> Which is a yeah. bit of a contradiction as well, yeah. I'm awfully nice. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah well, what, what that reminds me, and it's nothing to do with what we're talking about, a woman I knew well and was very fond of, she came from Offaly, mm. and she used to always say she was awfully nice. <laughs> very good, yes. <laughs> well, up around where I am in Anacartia, they say a fair good. Oh, I'm fair good, you know, which is, you know. But I love that kind of thing, you see. I, I think that's yeah. colourful and Yeah, but local the, 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 the trouble with people in general and uh, people like myself is when you hear the incredible, there, there it goes again. It keeps reminding you of the one that you're aware of yourself. Yeah. You know, it's, the, it's his plan. <laughs> to put it to you this way, it is incredible. <laughs> it is just incredible. <laughs> Seamus, it was a delight. Thanks very much. Lovely to talk okay. to you, Seamus. Bye-bye Thank to you now. That's uh, Seamus speaking to us this morning. Um, 1800-938-007. News is on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. You're welcome back to uh, Tip Today, 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. In the uh, last hour, we were speaking about uh, the Wolf Tones and we were speaking about their huge success at uh, Electric Picnic and, of course, the infamous uh, interview on Liveline 
um, where, well, Brian Warfield himself, he, he feels he was uh, ambushed. One of our listeners saying, I was listening to that on Joe Duffy on the day, Fran, he insulted Brian. I turned off the radio show in disgust, says one of our listeners. Can I just put my cards on the table now for fear? You might think that this is Joe Duffy bashing because it is not at all. I'm a big admirer of Joe Duffy's. I think he does a very difficult job. It's a very difficult broadcast job, what he does, and he makes it look uh, easy. Um, And he was also very encouraging to me, I have to say, very early on in my radio uh, days. Um, But I do think that that wasn't one of his finer moments. Um, As in, as you know, I'm a huge fan of Gay Borden. I think the interview with Annie Murphy wasn't one of his finer moments. So, you know, uh, just in case you think we're getting into a, a Joe Duffy bashing thing, we're not in the least. Another listener making a very good point as well, saying that it's the melody uh, that people like where the Wolf Tones are concerned more than the lyrics. And that's a very, very good point indeed, uh, because these songs are huge because they're so melodious, I suppose. Bree was on to say, Fran, I wonder why we commemorate the rising and we pay homage to Michael Collins, for instance. We have to remember our history. That's why. And what's were Fianna Fáil before they became Fianna Fáil? And how do all these people who complain about the Wolf Tones feel about abortion? That may seem extreme to some, but everything is relevant, says Brie. Um, Fran would uh, be something else if you brought Joe Duffy on your show to try to def- defend himself. Well, I'm sure uh, Joe Duffy... Um, uh, <laughs> He'd be very welcome on the show if he chose to come on the show. Um, lovely man, Seamus. That Seamus was talking to us about uh, the word incredible. Uh, it's like listening to a family member full of knowledge and history. Uh, my terrible expression is, do you get me? Of course, a lot of people use that as well. Do you get me? Uh, Fran, uh, OK, there's more stuff coming in here as well uh, that I might keep to myself for the moment. Mike says, what about the boys of the old brigade, Fran, when Irish men are proud and glad of the land where they were born? I think those words are just incredible, says he, having a go, having a go at Seamus as well. Somebody else is very offended by uh, somebody describing themselves as being 100%. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit much, all right, isn't it? Anyway, the electoral commission has recommended changes, as you know, at this point, which will lead to fourteen additional TDs, uh, bringing the total figure to one hundred and seventy-four. As well as this, four new constituencies are to be created, with boundary changes also affecting many current constituency uh, constituencies, indeed, across the the country in a temporary will move, if this is ratified, and it looks like it will be, from a five-seater to two three-seater constituencies, north and south. Joining me now is a a regular contributor to the show and a regular panellist as well, Peter Ryan. Peter, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you this lovely day? I'm very well indeed, Peter. I'm I'm careful about saying that I'm wonderful or extreme or anything, just in case uh, (laughs) we might start around. You're hearing from people... um, that they they believe there's too many TDs in the first place, Peter. Is is that is that it? I, I, I couldn't believe the, the outrage this caused in my interlocutor and such. Yeah, but oh, nobody nobody else seems to be talking about it. I don't know why. Uh, the amount of people said, "Oh, you have to talk to Fran about this," and I was thinking, "What the freak can Fran and myself do about this?" Right, you know. But uh, this, they were kind of insisting that we'd um, we'd have a chat about it. Yeah, which uh, which is. I'm well, no problem with that. Of course, I believe there's way, I myself believe there's way too many TDs. Uh, and how do we compare it to the in, rest of Europe and other countries, for instance? Well, Spain? we'll just say, like most of like Germany, Spain, France, all of them have about uh, one per 100,000. We have 3.3 per 100,000. 
Um, our figures are way up. Like we have a hundred and whatever, we have a hundred and seventy-four PDs now, and they have this one pushed through. Like uh, yeah. we have, we have nine hundred and forty-nine councillors. We have another bust of um, MEPs, mm. and we have advisors to all those people. Like we have only five million people. So like, way, way over crazy. the top, you think? Well, of course, we're way over the top. Now, as, as you, I don't have to tell you, Peter, but this is linked mm. to the Constitution, though, isn't it? Isn't that why this yeah, has to be looked the, at? Yeah, but like the Constitution is what? 100 years old, whatever. Yes. Like, it's time to have a look at it, change it, bring things up to date. Yeah. Like, it's, um, like, if there's something that didn't suit the, the, the TDs and that, they would they'd look into the Constitution. Yeah, but well, this is just another... Yeah, we, another saw, we saw that in recent years, that we are prepared to change the Constitution when, when it suits us, yeah. I suppose. Um, yeah, of course. And, like, I often know we'd have different subjects and the different things we talk about. Mm. And I would meet people that would not agree with my opinion, which I'm sure there's an awful lot out there in that case. But in this particular one, I have, n- I have not met one person that said, oh, we-, we need more. Mm. People think it's an outrage. It's costing another three million. And even at that, the Electoral Commission were rather conservative uh, because we could have had to... Is it up to 181? We could have had, I think. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing is absolutely... It is crazy because... I have nothing. It's nothing to say to the hard working TDs we have. They're all great. They're all grand. Mm. But, like, I haven't heard one of them say we don't need more of us. Yeah, so are, you know. are, are that people, and uh, no ordinary people that I know of, if there's such a thing as an ordinary person, has come up to say, I, we need, Janie Mac, we need a few more TDs to represent us. That's my point, exactly. Yeah. There, yeah. There's no, there's no, I could not believe, young and old, to know that they were saying, how come there's nothing about this? The people didn't get a say on this. Sir. And is that part of, do you think it should be put to the people in some way? And it all should, should be put to the people in such a way that maybe we could have the vote such a way that we could have less of them. <laughs> Do you know? Like, it's it's not just the vote to have more. Yeah. Like, like you say, go, go, for the, go for the Constitution and change it up a bit and make it more modern, bring it into 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 the real time. You know. Like in England, they have 570 MPs. Yeah. They have 58 plus million people. And they're doing all right for themselves. Well, well there's now the jury could be out on, on, on that with the way Brexit worked over there and all of that. But what, what about the argument against that? Well, certainly the TDs would say, yeah, but look at the access you all have to us. And we have our little constituency offices and you can pop in and you can you can get us to sort yeah, out your but, problems but, but, and all of but that. But you see, the one of our can be a constituency team. That should be the for councillors and for mm. stuff like that. Yeah, like, it's, it's not if, the job of a our, legislator. Yeah. No, if our civil servants were doing their jobs properly, there'd be no need for a TD to get involved in getting your medical care or a school bus pass or um, the briars cut off the ditch or any of that. Like, you know, it's it's they should be legislating. They should be trying to prove. And as somebody as somebody pointed out to me. Uh, one time as well, that these people, they can't get you anything that you're not entitled to in the first place. You see, that's the, that is the reality of it. Yeah. They can only get you what you're right, but see, it's put in such a way that most ordinary people haven't access to know how to get to this. Yes, 
yeah. they're not asking the right questions. They're not they're not uh, being told the right questions to ask. Right. So this is, but but you see, while we have a system that I'm going to have to get you friends for you to vote for me, while we have that system, how can we run our country anywhere right? The parish like, pump politics of it yeah, all. Yeah, like we have we have five excellent TDs in in, in Tipperary. There's only one of them, one tubbed in power, if you think about it. Mm. Like, how can Tipperary get that and done? The one TD that's in power has yes, only this, one tub of a state. This is Jackie Cahill you're, you're talking about. Jackie Cahill. Yeah. yeah. So, so, like, in the size of a county, the size of, of Tipperary, they actually only have one person in power, and he's only one tubbed in power. Right, but you see, Peter, the dangers there now, are you writing off the effect that a strong opposition can have in terms of influence? <laughs> if, you, if you can show me an opposition <laughs> that we have had with the last 20 years... Oh, you old cynic, you, Peter. I'm not, I'm not. There's no such thing. Like, uh, even Sinn Féin now are gone soft because they know they're about to get into power. And they're not, they don't have to be a strong opposition. They just have to be popular, is that it? They just have to be popular now. That's the way now to get over the line. They have done all the the, 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 the hard lifting, we'll say, with the last 15, 20 years. And now to get a bit nicer and to get a bit more um, acceptable with the people. And they'll top, they'll be the top party next time around. And it's working. And it's working. Mm. Of course it's working, yeah. Because it's... it's Like, politics are funny. It's, it's, it's a funny thing yeah. that... Uh, like... Michael Healy Ray was on your show the other day. I thought he was excellent. Yeah. Because he was just talking what we talk, a bit of sense. I, I, I'm, I'm glad you reminded that. me of that, Peter, because yeah. the outpouring of support for Michael Healy Ray yesterday was just unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, you know. but, to, but to put this into a little bit of politics then, um, Fran, Michael Healy Ray is uh, nearly on TPM as often as myself at this stage. Mm. Of course he's going to run now for an MEP. And he'll have all the, the, the he'll have all the soft all the work done. People will know him. Do you know, just the way politics work. It's crazy. But he is a brilliant he did speak brilliant sense the other day, do you know. Yeah, just for people who might have missed it, he was talking about road safety and he said that maybe we need to look to other aspects of what's going wrong, like signage and, uh, you know, the, the hedges and, and blocking views and uh, the stated roads and yeah, all the, that. The, the, roads, the roads fan out the country are a disgrace. Yeah. The, the mirrors, you couldn't keep a mirror now on your on your yeah. van or your car like that. And people are driven out, like he said, out onto the middle of the road. Mm. Like, everyone, and they're talking about getting back to council road, because getting the, the hedges caught in that. He and made, he made a great is. point uh, about the birds. <laughs> he said the birds aren't stupid, that they're not sort of <clears throat> making their nests out near where the traffic is. That they... Yeah, I'm a country man and the country all my life. Yeah. But uh, I, I found myself walking on the road, <laughs> going for bits of walk, looking in the ditch to see could I find the bird's nest. I think he's probably right. I didn't find any. So that's stupid. I'd say he's fairly, he's fairly right on that one. But if you cut the ditch back once and keep it cut back, they will not build on it again anyway, you know. Just do it once. Yes. And, and, and to be sorted, you know. What about the change, if this is ratified, and as I say, Peter, it looks like yeah. it is, um, Tipperary will be two constituencies, then three seats each, as opposed mm. to a single five-seater. What, what do you make of that? To just going back to show where we were before. Yeah. Like, it's... Um, I, I, um, 
have no problem with it. Oh, and the only problem I have with it is it should probably be a four se- uh, two two-seaters because one power, one opposition is, to me, the way to go. And, you, know, you can get elected in this country on about the 15 count mm. with probably less than eight or 900 uh, first preference votes, you know. And, and what are you saying, that that's not exactly democratic then, is that it? It's not, and that's yeah. what put the Greens into power that had done so much damage in the last four years on us. It was all like the surplus of the Sinn Féin vote, mm. that Sinn Féin didn't have the candidates to take them up. And the next thing, they'd left them to, in the, to um, Greens, most of them. And that's what the, how the Greens ended up in power. If you look at it, the, the seats they have, the few they have, they all came in and probably the last catch. Yeah, well, you see, it's it's valid because that's our system, Peter, you know? I mean... Yeah, I'm just saying we probably maybe should look at it. Uh, the other thing I heard Jamie Morris on, on the news there talking about, you know, OK, if we have two three-seater constituencies, north and south, why do we have one authority for such a big uh, county? And it also then plays into why in the name of God are we being policed from Ennis, uh, an amalgamation of two counties? Yeah, you, but that's my point about the power cell of uh, uh, the power brand uh, in our county. Mm. We have no, we have no one in government really yeah. that's stopping this carry on. You see, we can talk about it, we can give out about it, but you need to be in power to stop this going on. It's ludicrous that Tipperary is such a fine, the biggest inland county in the in the country, from my understanding, that we are being policed from Clareleach. Yeah, but you see, that's a dangerous road you're going down now, Peter, because you're saying that really then people should only think about voting for, uh, you know, a representative of a party that has a chance in government. That's So that would leave our independence cast aside, would it not? There's, there's, there's uh, all the independents have joined up groups. Mm. And there's no, they have no problem. If they come up and, and come to an agreement and get into power, but every bit is good. Look what um, Michael Healy's way of father done for Kerry. Yeah. And he was only one single man. Well, that's only because he was a linchpin mm. to government at the time because the numbers were so, so out of yeah, country. Yeah, but, you know? but if, 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 you can't, if you can't have a, sh- a Sharil shows and what's going on, yes. the people are the ones who lose out in the long run. And is Tipperary losing like, out? In my view, yes. Yeah. Big time. Because... Like you say, the girl they think gone to um, gone gone to clear now. Yeah. Like like the hospitals. Uh, oh, I think people are there losing out, and I and I think that if the if the the, the cog turned a little bit different last time round, and if Mihal got a few more seats, it's a different um, group would have been in uh, propping up the government. But Fianna Fáil didn't get the expected seats. They, they thought they'd get last time because they had lined up a group to join them up. And then it didn't work because they didn't have enough. Yeah. And so the, that, some, that's some... where the power comes from. You have to, they, they should now um, get, make themselves a line and say, look, this is it. We have, we have the rural group, we have the regional group, mm. and we have the urban. And every time there's a problem with the government, uh, they, they are voting against one another, all these three groups, and they're keeping the government in power. And what do you think about this notion that there may be emerging uh, a farmers' party or a party that would be specifically uh, representing rural Ireland and rural issues? What, what do you think? Yeah, about that? that 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 is happening. 
Do you and do you yeah. think that's that's a runner? I think it's a runner for at least the first go. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. I think to be like the P, the PDs and that. I think they'll they'll sweep the the rural vote uh, in the first run. Now whether they'll get into power and be any good or anything, I'm not sure. But I think first time round, they'll be new. People are just just want something different to vote for. Like Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, them party now. So they're not, you know, mm, that's, well, that vote is out there. Well, they would disagree profoundly with you on that, but I, I see where you're coming from. But in the meantime, anyway, you think in terms of more TDs, what you're hearing from people is not only do they not want more, but they want less TDs. Well, I think um, after this conversation, the feedback you'll get will probably let you know whether I'm, I'm, I'm bringing the right information or not, because the feedback I have, Fran, is, of course we don't need any more. We have way too many. All right, well, let's put it out to people out there right yeah. now. What do they think about the results of the Electoral uh, Commission? Should there be more TDs, or in fact, should there be less TDs? Let's see what we get on that. Peter, it's always yeah. good to talk to you. And look Thank after you, yourself. Uh, Thanks, Peter. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank bye-bye. you, bye-bye. Peter Ryan there of Newcastle. We'll take a break back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Okay, in response to uh, Peter's shout-out to our listeners then, one listener says, way too many TDs and councillors and not a good one among them. I'm not sure about that, though, in fairness. There's some, there's some good people out there. Um, somebody is saying, Fran, we have uh, too many TDs. They are milking the funds uh, with big salaries, less TDs, less money spent, uh, uh, and the money should be spent to build houses, and it should be put uh, to a referendum. Just my thoughts, as Patrick, I totally agree with uh, Peter. Um, okay, lots more coming in on that, and I'll get back to it in just uh, a moment, but just a couple from our text service as well. Uh, if we had Peter's suggestion of just one government and one opposition per constituency, we would have a two-party system with very little options for independence of smaller parties as they wouldn't get elected, obliterating any rural party or any representative representation like that. He also says that TD should focus on legislation and get away from the parish pump stuff yet, stuff, yet praises Jackie Healy Ray. Uh, Peter is talking out of two sides of his mouth. He needs to decide what side of the fence he wants to sit on and uh, make it clear rather than going for the populist point without backing it up. Well, in fairness, he says that he's representing, and I mean, I know Peter for a long time, he's a decent man. He said he is representing uh, quite a few people who have spoken to him uh, about this. Martin was on to say, we have too many TDs, we don't need any more. Um, Okay, I'll read you out some more of that in just a little while, because right now it's time to go to our GP, Dr. Pat Harold and Nina. Good morning to you, Pat. Good morning, Fran. I hope nobody's saying there's too many GPs. <laughs> I don't think anybody will ever say that, Pat, with the way things are going. Anyway, you're going to talk to us today about various tests, uh, Pat, blood tests and x-rays and MRIs yeah, and the like. Yeah. yeah, I was just thinking about the tests. You know, this is this is the time of year, and um, far more, I think, than the 1st of January, when everybody really wants to get going and things, doing things and signing up for new stuff and get this shit. Mm. And, and and you know it's it's art and night classes and yoga and everything every day which is great I mm. all for it you know but um, a lot of people rock up um for just kind of my blood's done um you know nobody was really looking for their blood's done 
25 years ago, but now everybody wants it. So I just thought I'd have a, have a go at what sort of age appropriate and everything like that, you know. Mm. So, I mean, some people now, they just they just abhor the thought of it. And even talking about blood, they've probably changed over the channel, you know, um, and, and they're very frightened of it. Um, and and to, I, I, are you frightened of that, Pat? I, I don't like it, Pat, but I'd go along yeah. with it if I had to, yeah. to have it done. I don't like it myself, yeah. actually. It's kind of invasive and hard. Well, a lot of people think that they have to fast with their bloodstone, and to be honest, there's only one or two things you have to fast for. So when you're booking it in, when you just find out, do I have to fast with it? Because if you're going in at half 11 in the day and you're absolutely about to fall over, no, it's going to be very difficult to get blood out of you because right. um, you're dehydrated. Okay. And um, we often get that. So, um, And even if you do have to fast, drink loads of water because if you're dehydrated, it's really hard to get it in. Oh, that's very um, interesting, that, Pat. I thought that in general you had to fast if you were getting your bloods done. Not at all. Oh, no, for the vast majority, right. you don't. Yeah. Um, in fact, very, very few. The only one maybe would be cholesterol um, if... Uh, you, you know, if you at the first test and mm. not even the, the subsequent ones, it doesn't really matter as much. And also, first, when you're checking your iron, um, and they're about it, really. You know, yeah. um, there's a thing called the fasting blood sugar, but I, I get to that in a minute. There's more that's been kind of superseded by another test. Yes. So, you don't have to be sort of hanging on, and uh, most times you're you're grand. Um, and if you're cold, so, um, I don't know, I, I mean. So anybody who comes into you and they're frozen looking, um, and you know people generally don't. I mean, it sounds a bit mad talking about now in a bit of a heat wave, but um, the ones with if you've nice warm arms, it's much easier to get the blood as well. So if you're warm and you're hydrated, it makes our job an awful lot easier. So what happens then? You go in and you get a thing called a tourniquet, which is like a little strap, and they put that around your arm. I always put teenagers um, lying down. Um, because they're the ones who are going to paint, if okay. anybody does. Yeah. And big young men, you know, the taller they are, the harder they fall. Wow. So when you've got yeah. some six foot three, 21 year old hurler, you know, mm. going green in front of you and about to drop, you know, so they can't drop if they're actually on the couch. Right. So, um, yeah. it, you know, because they are, they're kind of frightened. Most young people really don't need a lot to win. You know, if they're fit and they're healthy, there's a couple of things you should know. At some stage, um, it's nice to get your cholesterol and lipids done, because in some families they're just very high. Mm. So just getting a heads up. And um, I always like with Irish people to get a ferritin at some stage in their lives, which the iron one, which is high in hemochromatosis. Yes. You know, so that's a kind of an Irish-looking person. If Ed Sheeran came in, now I'd be itching to do ferritin with him. But you know, usually when it's done once. Oh, I and didn't realise that. So, so red-haired people and fair-skinned Irish people are more prone to be... Uh, in chromatosis, yes. Oh, right, Irish okay. right. You right. know, it, 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 I think it was a great advantage in the day to be in that people were chopping. You could get to a hatchet and things. So, you know, you have a good sort of strong irony blood. Yes. But um, it, as you get older, it accumulates. But in the cold day, nobody expected to live to 19. You know? So, um, well, I don't think that it... So, um, so that's that's... It, it, it was, it's a tough when you're young, but it's a minus when you're older. Right. Um, <clears throat> now, and then we get the cholesterol and people, and we do four different things. People ask, what don't you predict cholesterol? But we actually generally end up putting it into a kind of a bit of software called the Q-Risk. And we do your family history and a few other things. And we come up with the risk, and that decides whether you go on the staff or 
you need further investigation. Mm. A lot of these tests are kind of preliminary. But, you know, you do one test and you do a few and then there something is abnormal. So you go chasing it up as well. Um, so like one of the ones we commonly do is called the HbA1c. Yes. And that looks back at 120 days. You know, it's like if you said you saw me going up the road at 150 miles an hour, mm. you know, that's, and you're thinking of my, this is like the analogy I'm using for blood sugar. You know, I might have been going at five miles an hour the rest of the day, but a HbA1c gives you your average speed uh-huh. over the day, your average blood sugar. Right. And if that goes up over 42, you're heading towards diabetes. And if it's over 48, you're diabetic. And that's of great interest at the moment because it's a sort of a qualification criteria for things like ozempic and sex and, mm. and the weight loss injections. So um, it's a very good way. But, you know, this business is about the fasting glucose and it's kind of gone. So every diabetic is going to be A1C done maybe twice a year or something like that, depending on, you know, on, on their condition. You know, everything, everything is for negotiation. And the other thing is the prostate. I just always, now, if you have a family history of BRCA, um, or, or prostate cancer, um, and you're a man and you're over 40, that's when you start to talk to your doctor about getting the PSA done. You know, it's, it's a pretty weird test and it's not it's not for general screening, but certainly all fellows should have a little chat with their doctor right. about it. Well, that's a, that's a specific blood test, Pat, is it? It's a... That's a specific blood test for the prostate. Yes. And then just the thyroid and the kidneys, the liver, you know, we, yeah. we were kind of a run. And that brand is for most of it, you know. It, 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 you'd never it down to something specific. So if it's something like joint pain, pain in your hands and feet, you know, we'd be thinking of arthritis. There's specific ones for that. But sometimes people will say, I can't have arthritis or something because I my blood was done a year ago. But nobody was thinking of arthritis. Right. So they didn't, they weren't looking for that particular thing. So um, it's like saying, I, I went into a bookshop and, you know, I, I didn't get the particular book I wanted to be. You know, because it, you weren't looking for it, you know, at the time. So it's, um, and, and we tailor it down. So right. And, a, and, and, and I guess that you, you would base some of your, your decision on blood testing then to your suspicions around maybe some symptoms that you might witness and stuff. Is, is that it? Pat? Yeah. Patients kind of expect you nearly these days to go straight for the, the blood. But yeah. um, there's a bit more to it than that, you know, yeah, getting sure. the history and finding out people are and getting a look at them and the whole picture. It's just part of the puzzle, but it's, it's not the whole thing. And you, 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 you know, speak so about cholesterol there. What else can you tell about the heart condition from blood tests, Pat? Oh, well, there's one called the BNP, which is a great one for it. It shows um, how if you if you have heart failure, really, it shows stuff very well. Um that's a good one. And yes. of course, the thyroid can affect the heart as well. Yeah. You see, But then, of course, you start doing an ECG and you might do an echo, which is kind of an ultrasound of the heart. It, it's all like a bit of a mystery story and you follow it. Um, and, um, but there's a sort of a tendency nowadays. We do far too many blood tests and every single one of them costs a state a certain amount of money. Yes. You know, and if it's the rarer the test and the weirder it is, um, the more it gets and I really hate something like, you know, somebody's gone into hospital and you do a test and then you say, you know, you've done their thyroid five times in the last four years, which is probably too many if there's nothing wrong with their thyroid. And you send them off to hospital for something and the first thing they do is check the thyroid again. And it might be nothing to do with their thyroid at all. Absolutely nothing. But they just tick that little box. And all that adds up to a fortune. Right. And, and this is clogging and up every, laboratories every and all of that to too. Yeah. 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 And the other thing is sometimes you go into a hospital or an outpatient clinic or something and they take the blood they say, go to your GP, they have the result, which 
we 19 times out of 20 we don't and 19 times out of 20 we've no way of getting hold of it the general rule of thumb in medicine is the person who does the test acts on it so if the, whoever orders it and has it done gets the result back and then they action what needs to be done which is whatever sort to of follow right, well that, that makes know, sense Pat because we keep hearing that you know systems don't talk to each other uh, properly okay. so they, you know not a bit of it, um, and we generally don't know any more than the next one. And, you know, I mean, if you went sort of hanging on the phone for five people in the day trying to get through to the lab or something, you know, we just wouldn't be able to work. So, unfortunately, um, we, we have to say, you know, no, it doesn't come back to us. Now, sometimes it does, but most times it doesn't, unless they specifically That's very interesting. I'm, I'm reading yeah. into what you're saying, Pat. The demand, then, for blood tests when people come into you, is it similar to the demand for antibiotics, that people are looking for stuff? Uh, Brian, it, it, it's a huge demand, and, and people just walk in and they want an MRI, and they don't even tell you what they want. They probably don't even understand MRI. what exactly it is, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you get the MRI and say, oh, I need an MRI and I need an MRI and my whatever bit. And, you know, they, somebody told me to get an MRI and you get an MRI and they say you have a bit of wear in your knee or something. So what? You know, I mean, I could have told you that. A good physio would tell you that. Mm. Even if they put their fingers on you. Um, you've had a very expensive test that, um, you know, might tell us a lot. You know, it, 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 it's, um, we're, we're kind of over-testing, to be honest. Um, now, people are sort of over-testing because they want to get ahead of clues as well, and I get that. Sure, so, I yeah. mean, if you wanted to, it, it is actually, if you were going to, say, see some kind of an orthopaedic surgeon and you had the MRI and you paid a few pounds per, and, you know, it's not huge money. Like, they're generally not over mm. 200 quid. You know, maybe it's a good way of, you know, to say that the knee is absolutely bandaged and the orthopaedic surgeon might, you know, treat them a bit more seriously. But um, it's something you kind of want to negotiate with, with your doctor. Do you need it at all? And what you know, is the difference, thing. Pat, then with an ultrasound, for example? Um, yeah, an ultrasound's more soft tissue. Um, okay. There's right. there's the, the things you might get for x-rays. X-rays are great for showing bones. So x-rays are great for knees. They're great for hips. The weight during exercise or x-ray tells you an awful lot. But... Um, they're, they're, they do show bones, they don't show soft tissue. So an X-ray is much use in the shoulder. The okay. shoulder is nearly all tendons and ligaments and things. Um, an MRI is kind of very good for the soft tissues. And a CAT scan, these are sort of subtle things, but then sometimes they do a thing called the PET scan. They yes. the cancer and PET scan shows where the cancer spits are. Um, right. You know, so it's all very appropriate. You know, it's a bit like, you know, you sort of, sort of it, it, it's negotiation both ways. Right. But I, I guess the message this morning, Pat, is don't make up your mind as to what you need. Go and talk to your GP and see what the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it, it's not all blunders. It's more, you know, they're they're handy. They're useful. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, every morning we have a good chat with them. And, and they generally have to be done in the morning, especially yes. if you're up around um, North Tip, because they all go into Limerick and we don't do them in the afternoon. And we can't do them on a Friday either. They won't do them first. So, you know, sometimes people walk up on a Friday afternoon and they take the time off work and God knows what they need my blood stuff. They just can't do. Sorry, you know, so you'd have to come back in the mornings. Yes. So Somebody asking does. how long should you be waiting for a blood test to come back? So the results... Great question. Yeah, it, it depends. If it's a common thing like the full blood count, that they'll do that that day. Your, your kidney test, then your liver test. I think the thyroid, they do in a batch of about once a week. Now, if you if you're running a, a kind of a, a, a 
weird test, well, a, a rare one, mm. you know. They might only run those every two weeks or something. So some blood tests can take, and some of them go to um, foreign. Um, like I think the hemochromatosis testing goes to Newcastle in England. Oh, so that right. could be weeks. Interesting, you know? yeah. And uh, so, yeah. somebody wondering why, if you have a medical card, you have to pay for a blood test. Is that the case, Pat? Well, the medical card doesn't test cover um, a lot of blood tests. Yes. And it covers, um, it, it, there's, there's like, there's some circumstances it does and some circumstances it doesn't. Um, and if you start to pay different blood tests, then it might cover four of them, but it doesn't cover the other six. So generally there's a, there's a small fever, you know, yes. most yeah. Um, somebody saying, I didn't know uh, that you could drink water before going for bloods until last week, and I've been going getting my bloods done for 15 years. Isn't that kind of interesting? Now, the, uh, you know, God's <laughs> yeah, should, should people be made more aware, as you're doing today, Pat, indeed, of things like this? Yeah, because it can be very difficult. You know, yeah. if you're dry as a bone on a yeah. Monday morning, it's your yeah. <laughs> and you're fit to fade from the hunger anyway. So, um, and kids are a special kind of a thing. Kids are kind of tricky to do. And um, we generally put on sort of freezy stuff that we don't do for the adults. And we take our time with it, you know. And um, generally GPs don't do a lot of kids' blood because yeah. um, they generally go into a hospital and they've got um, special wards and, nurses and it's kind of a specialised thing because if you do it a couple of times and you make a mess of it, they're not likely to come back to you you know of course, and yeah. um, you've, you've lost the room you've, you, you've lost the room indeed uh, where have I heard that recently, Pat always good to, to hear from you, yeah. thanks very much take care, thank Mind you, you. thank you, bye bye now that's our GP Dr Pat Harold there uh, we'll take a break back in just a moment if it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie now, it appears that, well, certainly, I'm not sure how scientific this is, but nobody has made contact with us to say we need more TDs. Nobody at all, not even one person. Um, some people uh, personally critical of Peter. Now, you can sort of disagree with his argument and you can sort of counter argument and all of that as well. But, I mean, to get personal about stuff, we don't do that in as much as we possibly can. Uh, we were talking about language as well uh, with Seamus earlier on. And uh, he's um, particularly annoyed at the use of the word incredible and the overuse of it when people should be using the word extremely, for example. But Rosemary was on to us with a very interesting one as well. And she said, did you ever hear that something is really or very unique? Unique is the only word that does not need an adjective. Unique means once off. No need to qualify it with an adjective. And that's a very good point as well. And we do it all the time. Somebody is very unique. There's no need to see very, because if they're unique, they're unique. I suppose Joe joins me now. Uh, good morning to you, Joe. Uh, good morning. Good morning to your listeners. Good to talk to you, Joe. And again, it's language where you're, you're concerned to. The Americanisms, do you think, are we taken over by sort of Americanisms? Yeah, I, I, I'll clear up one thing there, but Peter, he made some good, valid points. I have no problem. I, I think we have too many TDs. I do, I do. But the ministers uh, do a, a soul search into how many advisors each minister has. Yeah. We're, we're talking about RT, 
I was in trouble when I heard uh, they had between 10 and 15 advisors, mm. you know. I don't know I don't know how true or how false that is, but if that's the case, uh, we're really spending money uh, very foolishly. You know, I don't think we need all them advisors, you know. Yeah, well, it appears that all our ministers now have to have... Uh yeah, lots and lots of advisors. Some of them have between six and eight advisors each. You know, so yes. you'd, you'd wonder yeah, about I, why that is necessary I, when they ha- when they have the permanent government there, I suppose, to avoid, advise them in some way. But anyway, you were going to talk to us about language. Oh yes, I'll, I'll go back to what I originally. Now this is light banter in comparison to what you were speaking about today, and I hope people don't think I'm uh, nitpicking or anything that I'm not. Uh, you're talking about pronunciation. We'll start off with that, and I'll give you one that we all use. Not all of us, but some of us. It's our own county. Tipperary. Some of us have this habit of saying Tipperary. We do. We do. Yes, we do. You know, look what I look what it, it doesn't matter. I'm not. I'm not uh, too hot or too cold about what people, however they say it. And uh, I have a good time for all county uh, language and expressions. They all bring their own to the table. But anyhow, going back to the American language, uh, most young people now they have only three adjectives to describe anything, and I'll give you the three very fast. Mm. Cool, these are blow well pronounced A-U-C-H-L, very and awesome. And they're completely out of context. Right. Uh, G- give me the middle one again now. What, what you, so you say cool and awesome. What was the middle one? Scary. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scary. Now look, if a fellow yeah. was inside, if a fellow was inside with a double barrel shotgun off his head and I was going into the kitchen, it wouldn't be scary for me. It would be uh, terrifying. Right. It would be... Uh, uh, completely frightening. Like yeah. everything is scary now. Like to be all scary. Like and it, this. Like I remember George Lee there being interviewed by uh, uh, Turbidy, and of course Turbidy he's gone. And I think Turbidy always wanted to uh, to uh, do the case in what do you call it in Hollywood. Like they were trying, you know. So he said to George Lee, oh, you scare me with the black coat. Why would George Lee scare anybody with a black coat? It was this overuse of the American language. Uh, now, I said to my young little fellow, grandson coming home from school there yesterday. Oh, he said, cool granddad. Right, I said. How would you describe today to him? Oh, cool as well, granddad. <laughs> well, I said, it's a, very, it's a very hot day. It's a very warm day, you know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yes, and, yeah, and, and like uh, he kind of caught he was having a go at me. He knows to irritate me, and yes. he's, a, he's a character. But in any case, uh, you know, everything is it, it all cool. Like, well, uh, I, I, cool, I, like, I have to hold my hands up here and admit I use cool quite a bit, but it's because I'm an old hippie, and so, so it's, coming, yeah. it's coming from that. But do I you think but, is is it a case that TV and videos and all are are they? informing us as to how language is I'll come to that in a second. I'll come to that in a second. The third one, of course, is awesome. Now, mm. that's completely taken out of context. In my seven decades, or almost on this planet, there were only three things, or three occurrences that was awesome with me. <laughs> Listing the 94 death yesterday, he was awesome for the size 14 fist, and yeah. uh, the book is lost an awful lot of money on uh, Liston. He, all, he was all heavily backed. Yeah. The other thing, Con- Concord was awesome, and when they arrived in the moon, they were the other two things, you know? Yeah, that that so, deserved the word awesome as far as you're concerned. It, it did, it yeah. did. But you know what? Oh, yeah, like, like if the dog barks now in the backyard, oh, awesome, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Very good, now, very good. I, I, I'll, come, I'll, I'll try and get down to this as fast as I can. What really irritates me is hi, guys, and you guys. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with I meet a lady there when I'm out jogging? Uh, she'd say, good morning, Joe. You know, lovely, lovely salutation. This hi, guys. 
And you guys, you guys got married, you guys went to Barcelona, and you guys came back and you guys built a house. What's wrong with the word ye for the second person, the plural of the second person? Yeah, no, it's not used at all now. Sure it's not. No, no. And the other lovely words were used, and we're losing losing all lovely words in connection with that, you know. Now, we are propagating this American trailer English language. That's what I call it. We're we're enhancing it. We're propagating it. And you know the biggest culprit? RTE. Do you think so? Oh, I would doubt a shadow of a doubt. Now, you asked me about television and uh, all this. This came into our country in the 80s with uh, Sky Television and all this, and then with the internet and uh, so forth. And we have uh, have embraced all this. Now, just to come to another... The quantum of adjectives to have to describe something yeah. uh, are, are, are completely, uh, completely void. Like, you know, we'll we're, 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 we're say something can be beautiful, gorgeous, splendid, enhancing, fabulous, gregarious, majestic, whatever, enthralling. No, it's it, 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 it's cute. It's cute. <laughs> you know? Uh, I love it. And, and just to cause a row with you, I mean, is it not inevitable, Joe, that language will evolve. And I mean, all you have to do is be a student of Shakespeare to see how the English language has evolved over a few hundred years, do you know? Oh, of course everything evolves. And I I see where you're going on this one. But withstanding that, uh, I I don't mind it. Like, with with grammar now, like, this irritates me as well, with with this you guys, grammar now is kind of open season. Like, I was listening listening to Frankie Sheehan there some time back, a fabulous connoisseur uh, uh, on rugby, and uh, he'd be very, very good uh, with that. But he said, they were talking about outhouse like Warren Agar, I think, and, and our Johnny Sexton. Mm. And he said, uh, there is guys out there. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, that's a to. frequent one, isn't it? Frequent oh, one. Yeah, it yeah. is, yeah. It seems to be often season for grammar. You know, there is guys out there, and uh, so forth. Uh, there's something uh, missing out. But you see, some people would to. say to you, um, look, did you not understand what he was saying and if you understood the point that he was making isn't that what language is about it's about communication it is but you know something Fran it's as easy to say the correct way is the incorrect way I sometimes go across that bridge in Holy Cross and people will walk on the left hand side cannot see you at their back it's a narrow bridge it's as easy to walk on the right hand side and see where you're going with the traffic. It's as easy to do the right thing as it is to do the, the wrong well, thing. Well, Joe, know? all I can say is cool. <laughs> now, the other thing... The other Joe, thing I have I, to go I, because I, we're heading towards news, so very quickly, yeah. Yeah, uh, moisture is a noun. Now, yes. they're verbing the nouns. Uh, they're moisturization, no such word. Like, they're verbing the nouns. And the last thing, and the two things I could add into, uh, with American, with independent... Uh, they tried to change their language from the from the English, and they changed a lot of the spelling. Yes. So I give you one example, quick. Is color the use left out of color in America? C O L O U R. It's now C O L O R. Yes, and and Z is replacing S with organization and other words like that and stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. Joe, yeah. Joe I must leave it there. But will you will you come back on with me someday? Because I'd love to talk more about this. It's really hugely. Yeah, I, I, look I could go on. I could go on and go on. But look at you. You're, you're caught for time. Thanks for taking my thanks, call. Thanks. And your listeners. Thanks, okay. Joe. And be be cool, okay. Joe. Be cool. Uh, news and information is on the way. 
Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. You're very welcome back to uh, Tip Today, 1800-938-007. Now, we were talking about language and uh, the use of and the incorrect use of and just the annoying use of in uh, some cases as well. One of our listeners saying, what about the word unreal? <laughs> Loads of people use that all of the time as well. Um, if Peter, this is Peter Ryan who spoke to me, uh, is Peter for real, Fran? Um, uh, cut back ditches and keep them cut back. I never saw a nest in a ditch and Fran to agree with him. Outrageous. I didn't uh, agree with them because I, I don't know anything about stuff like that. I think what I did was I referenced what uh, Michael Healy Ray said on the programme yesterday and his point was that birds aren't stupid and they're not going to lay their nest, you know, on the outside of the ditch where traffic is sort of going up and down anyway. So that, that, that was his point, not, not mine, because it ain't my game. For every problem, there's a solution. Dear Phil, on Tip Today with Phil Prendergast. I hope you're not grumpy like like some of our listeners. I certainly am not, Fran. <laughs> I'm here very calm, very relaxed. I'm delighted to hear. How are you anyway, Phil? I, I'm good, Fran. Good. Do you know? Good indeed. Um, we're going to launch into our letters then. So letter number one. Dear Phil, my husband and I are not all that social. We go out once in a while, but we wouldn't be out every weekend. My issue with him is that I absolutely hate when he drinks. He almost does the complete dog on it, and I'm always mortified by him. He will drink until he can't stand up. He gets stupid and argumentative and has, on a few occasions, stripped naked. Everybody thinks it's great crack and some of his friends will be buying him drinks just to get him drunk and see what he'll get up to. It all came to a head at a wedding we attended last month when he got so drunk before the dinner that he was shouting smart and lewd comments during the speeches. I wanted the ground to open up and swallow me. Some people thought he was hilarious, but I could see a lot of people getting irritated with him. This isn't the first time he has done this. It's a regular occurrence, and I've tried to slow down his drinking by watering down what he gets. I've tried to get him away earlier, but he makes a fool of himself, and I've tried just ignoring him as well. But it's come to the stage now where I absolutely dread going to anything because of how he will behave when drunk. I've spoken to him when he sobers up and said that it really upsets me and embarrasses me, but he just tells me I should lighten up and let my hair down. How can I resolve it? Or am I the one being unreasonable? I think she knows quite well that she's not being unreasonable about this because this seems to be very, very um, unacceptable behaviour, really. Um, I think that the husband possibly would have social anxiety um, and uses alcohol to relax himself, but he just goes too far. And and I don't agree now with the woman watering down his drinks, and I can't imagine that it's pints he's drinking mm. because the bar wouldn't even want him to be watering down their pints because yeah. it reflects on the quality of what they're selling. But um, it does suggest that he drinks shorts, perhaps, um, as opposed to pints. And I do think that if there's a continuous behaviour and then the husband kind of dismisses it, that at some point they need to show him pictures of how he is when he decides to do a strip. I mean, that's just off the scale in terms of what would be acceptable in any level. I mean, you know, if you thought you were going to do that at a wedding, you would never accept an invitation anywhere again because 
it's so mortifying. And also, it's it's just not... I think it's just not really acceptable behaviour. It's like it's really going over the top. And I would say his social anxiety is fairly bad if he needs to get that drunk that he needs to dismiss it all. And if I was that wife, I would be saying, I will not be going anywhere with you if you're preloading on drinks, if you're drinking to the extent that you're going to be lewd, if you're drinking to the extent that you're going to take off all your clothes and think that's funny, apart from not getting arrested, I don't know how he's not. But um, I would just say that it's it's not acceptable and until you modify how you do it and how you behave. And we're what's, what's playing into your thoughts about the social anxiety is that, that she says in the first line that we're not all that social. We go out once in a while, but when we do... Yeah, it's, I think right. that he probably has a social anxiety mm. and I think he uses alcohol to try and buffer that. Yes. But whatever way he's using alcohol, I, I'm thinking it's shorts he's drinking because the water like, you can't be yeah. putting water into yeah, pints. Yeah, you, sure. You'd get seen doing that um, and it's just, you know. But um, I would say, because she says he will drink until he can't stand. He gets stupid and argumentative and has, on a few occasions, stripped naked. That's not normal behaviour and it's not really acceptable behaviour. What if there's children at the event? There mm, often are yeah. children in pubs. Or and they he have, doesn't see anything wrong with it. He doesn't see it because perhaps he's never yeah. been, you know, he's never Confronted seen it. it yeah. But, you know, somebody somewhere will have pictures and one of the days he's going to see himself on the internet. And I, I, just, I just think it's troublesome behaviour because it doesn't reflect normal passions of having a, a few drinks or have, going out and having a nice evening and being in a position to remember the evening and being in a position to remember that you, you weren't appalling. I would not go out if if mm. I had somebody that would do this kind of thing. And what is this about? Because, you know, God knows over the years I would have worked with people who were serious, serious drinkers. Do you know what I mean? But they'd never behaved like this in a million yeah, years. Yeah, you see, it does seem as if it's... Um, like, I mean, on a few occasions he has stripped naked. Everyone thinks it's great crack and some of his friends would be buying him drinks mm. just to get him drunk and see what he'll get up yeah. to. Because obviously he plays to the gallery when he has drink because he's full of confidence. Mm. Now, misplaced confidence. But he's so confident that he's so gorgeous that he thinks I'll strip off now as well. Yes. And he thinks he's hilarious. And he thinks he's hilarious. And yeah. perhaps it is for some of the people there. But I'd have to wonder at what kind of events he's doing. If he's doing this at weddings, it's dreadful. And if he's doing it in pubs and where younger people are there as well, again, it's not. Like he would be put out of a bar, I think, by any bar person and say, this is not acceptable behaviour, you can't do this. So her, her, well, her, her double question at the end, how can I resolve it or am I being the one unreasonable? You're saying she's not being she unreasonable. She knows well that she's not so being the unreasonable. So the resolution of here. it then? The resolution is Show that him. She, he, he needs to see. They need to have photographs somewhere that shows him being a tool. And that he can't really expect her to go out to a social occasion with him when she can't trust that he is A, not going to get arrested for lewd behaviour, that he's not going to get uh, invited to other things because people won't want him there because mm. he's a, a he's thick. Yeah. Do you know? Like he's... How, <laughs> Don't like, hold back though. How, no, thick. no, no. But how would, how would he... How would he like it if his wife did that? Yeah. I mean, we'd be talking a whole different ball game. Completely. You completely, know. Yeah. So it's it's not okay. 
this is not okay and I just think that she needs to at some point there will be there will be videos of him yes. when he's doing his streaks and all the rest of it she should get hold and, and say listen here yeah I have this vision of grinning grinning idiots who are sort of putting him up to it as well. And, you we know, understand that but there's something in his personality that seems yeah. to look for attention be it any attention and not really, you know now he could have a bit of ADHD that has never been diagnosed but he does need to realise that this behaviour is not socially acceptable, it's not ethically acceptable either and mm. it's certainly not fair to people where they're going, where this woman is going to say, yeah, and he's going to do this tonight and I'm going to be made a, sh- a show of. Yeah, I, I'm intrigued, though, about this behaviour in general because there's a guy I know, I mean, I don't know him personally, but I see him quite a bit. And if you met him in a shop, the eyes would be down and he wouldn't make contact, or wouldn't say boo to a goose. And sometimes then I'd see him with a few jars in him and he's the life and soul of the party. And he's a yeah, bit of a because some thing. people use that as a confidence boost. Yeah. And instead of using... So alcohol, it it kind of opens up the flow for conversation and others would go one drink too far and you are very likely to say something or be inappropriate or do something inappropriate or simply you're not going to be the best version of yourself. So some people do this with social anxiety and thinking, oh, I need to lighten up now here. I need to loosen up kind of quick. I'm going to have a little one before I go as, you know, to get myself ready. Not a good idea. You know, if you're going to go out and have a drink, have a drink, a pint an hour. Why couldn't he do it? Why couldn't he do it? Why couldn't he do it indeed? All right, then letter number two. Dear Phil, my youngest child is going uh, into Leaving Cert this year. Well, I presume at this stage they're in Leaving Cert. And during the process of getting him ready to go back, we had a conversation about what he wants to do after school. He's always spoken about maybe going to college to do PE teaching. So I was surprised to hear that he has now changed his mind on this and decided instead that he would take a year out and decide later what he wants to do. I don't have a problem with this per se. But when I asked what uh, will he do for the year, will he get a job or travel, he said he just wants to stay at home, have a break, hang out with his friends because he wants a time out because he will be so wrecked from the leaving cert, the poor bit. Now, I told him he was doting if he thought he could sit home for a year doing nothing and it turned into a big argument on how I don't understand the pressure that he's under and he's too young to decide what he wants to do for the rest of his life. I agree with him on that, but he can get a job while he decides. He also spoke to my husband about it and he said just leave him off and he won't be long getting bored when he sees all his friends are gone to college or working, but I fear that by then it will be too late for him to apply for anything. How can I make him see sense? Well, I think the first thing to do is sit back and draw breath. This young fella is only just gone into leaving cert. They change like the wind in terms of if they haven't a firm idea in their head what they want to do, whether in college or whether it's going and getting and learning a trade. Like they have all the time in the world here to actually influence the young fella in a positive way. The the whole leaving cert, it's a very fraught time, I suppose, because there's so much pressure on, on a... a an exam at the end of it that determines what you do in the future. People, I think, overthink this as well. Mm. Um, And it's definitely a time where this young fella can say, you know, I need to kind of think about the, the, the exam. 
they also need to have in their head what kind of a, a bend that they have, whether they're going to be do a trade, whether they're going to learn to be, you know, to work with painter, for instance, or a carpenter, electrician. All vital trades, plenty of work, plenty of opportunities overseas if they so want it. And, I mean, he wouldn't be long about realising that if his friends are all gone on to college and he's... Um, at home all day he's yeah. certainly going to get bored and he, he'll be very bored as well if he decides I'll lie in bed all day and I'll get up all night because there's a cost in that as well and it's not just a cost in his time and mental health there's a cost in electricity on at night looking at the internet you know whatever looking at films whatever it is that he wants to do and that again is not good for someone's mental health so I'd say he could do is have a, a chat with the, the school counsellor and I'd say it would be a very good idea just to kind of for maybe to be steered in that direction where he could go to the the, the person that deals with those sort of issues and they, they would give him very, very good advice. Mm. And if he's not inclined to do that, or you see, again, he was only going into the leave and search. Maybe there's too much anticipation of what he would or he wouldn't do, and he could be just winding his mother up as well because they do that, you know. You know I, was, I was thinking that actually, <laughs> that he was just doing that. The father might have a bit of a point. Let him off and see what you know. He won't be long changing his. Except tune, that you know. it's it's just not it's not going to be just okay to keep yeah, like that. Course, and I think they course, probably yeah. need to review it in maybe three months and then in six months. And we're talking about a very short year because it's not a year. Of course, yeah. But I mean, there's so many opportunities now, local PLC courses and all sorts Everything, of Everything, Fran. Doing, and know. people needn't, need not be worrying. Like, college is not the be-all, end-all. That's for, for certain. For a lot of people, they're not going to be able to afford what has now become gargantuan fees, costs, leap cards, lunches, eating out. It's just like, I mean, the idea that you can go and land in digs somewhere and be looked after, the day is gone. The day is gone for that. Now, there's very good transports and there's, but there's costs in everything. But there still will be costs even if they're learning a trade. For, for certain, but yeah. there's such a valuable asset to have if you can do something with your hands. And there are people that are brilliant with their brains and they just might not be any good. So they'd be whizzes on computers. Of course, but going off to do a, a pointless degree or something. Going off to do a degree that know. is for a degree's sake so that you yeah. can say you can have a degree. Do you know what? It's not for everybody. Mm. And there are people that are going to be excellent barbers, hairdressers, painters, decorators. There, there are so many talents out there that have an actual realness to them that I suppose... When you can learn on the job and you still get paid for it and you're going sure, to get paid, it's it's just something that shouldn't right. be dismissed. Our final one. I'm kind of intrigued with this letter. But anyway, uh, dear Phil, my dad runs a garage fixing cars and he's worked there as long as I can remember. He's a very hard worker who gives long days and almost all weekends to his business. In my opinion, he's a workaholic and we've all had to suffer because of it. My mother's constantly run ragged, going here, there and everywhere, picking up stuff for the garage, and we would all have grown up working at the garage, doing cleaning or admin when school was off. But my dad is now getting older. He's not as fit as he once was, and I think he's finding the work harder. As a result of this, 
it's making him grouchy and rather hard to be around. Since my sister uh, met her now husband, my dad has gotten him into the garage to do work because he too is a trained mechanic. But he is a nice Monday to Friday, nine to five at a dealership that he enjoys and it gives him zero stress. But now my dad is getting older. He is relying on my brother-in-law all of the time. Most evenings he is now working with my dad and guaranteed every weekend I know he's only doing it to be nice and keep the peace, but I do feel sorry for him. They have a small child who I reckon never sees uh, him because he's da- uh, because Dad has him working all of the time. It drives my sister mad, but the one time she told her dad that they were going away for the weekend, he went mad and said that he had jobs that needed doing and they had to cancel it. They did, which I fear has set a terrible precedent. And now my sister is afraid to open her mouth. I said it to my dad before to hire somebody else and he says he can't afford it. I told him to give my brother-in-law at least a day off a week and Dad responds, we are too busy. He is so pig-headed, no one could get through to him and my brother-in-law is so quiet, he will never say no. What can I do before it all explodes, which I fear it will? And I think she's right that it will explode Mm. because I think there's a tipping point. If this man is that busy, he is not short of an ability to pay somebody for work that they're doing. And if that was the case, he should make a, a proposal, maybe a business plan for perhaps for for the, her husband to go and actually take over the running of the garage and start letting the father mm. ease into his uh, retirement. I don't or, think he wants it, though. He likes his He might to want it, but he's pig-headed and he is asking somebody to work uh, all the time mm. and at the weekends. Uh, and it seems like this is unpaid. So I and I, you know, he this this chap has a has a child and a, a wife, and it's it's like I I just don't think that it's okay to be very quiet and unassuming and just being like a nodding dog and saying, of course I will. That's no problem. I'll do that. His his work all the week, and he would have grunt work to do in that week as well, and to come home and then phase out after his dinner to go out and spend another few hours doing it's unbelievable. it. Unbelievable! Absolutely, yeah. very unfair. And I think there needs to be a realistic reappraisal of the kind of work the father's taken on and not able to cope with it, and realizing that if you can't cope with somebody, he needs to hire somebody, and he needs to get them to take over a share of the grunt work that this man he is doing. Sounds like a very dominating uh, sort of. Yeah, but he also sounds like it's very mean. He can't afford to pay someone. But how does he have an expectation that he can have an in-law that he is now depriving that that girl of her husband, the child of his father, um, a weekend being cancelled because the father-in-law is too busy but he can't pay someone. This is uh, not all right. So it's very unfair to continue it because, like, you know... Would would he would he like it if the roles were reversed? I mean, I think this this man has to stand up and say, "Well, well I'm not available. I'm I'm going to football training on Monday evenings mm. from here on in. I'm bringing my little child to our class, or I'm doing." But I I think you've hit the nail on the head. This this the son-in-law or the brother-in-law is he, he needs to just really. Say, oh, he absolutely you know. needs to say, "Listen." Yeah. Son, you need to um, you need to check up on on exactly how you're saying that this is not um, affordable. If if the chap himself wants to take over the business, that's again they can do a shared ownership for mm. a while and let the father slowly retire, father-in-law slowly retire. Mm. But it does sound as if it's all too much for him. He cannot cope without the help of this chap, 
and he is abusing him in the process because it's very disrespectful not to pay someone first of all for work that mm. they do but it's also it's not right to take advantage of families like that because nobody's in a position to be able to spare even the time and you need to be working at marriages and relationships too and relationships with your children sure. and yeah. if you're going to be gone all the time and the man will be coming in at night wrecked and probably oily and dirty and you're you're straight into the shower into the bed yeah. and then up the next morning off, off to your own work knowing that you have to come in this evening have your dinner rushed no time with your child and then you're going off to work on, on dirty old yeah. cars uh, and, no. th- and those years fly by as well so absolutely so, so I do it, think yeah. this is a, something that sometimes in the writing of a letter it should give clarity to the writer and they should be able to see that this is kind of wrong on so many levels and when you put it like that you know, I all I hope is that he's under an engine today, but listen to us. <laughs> all right, Phil, as always, a real pleasure. Thanks thanks very much indeed for that. We'll we'll take a break. We're back with more in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, I'm glad to be joined by uh, Susan O'Donoghue, who is uh, a relationship mentor and a co-creational psychotherapist as well. Good morning to you, Susan. Good to see you. Again, very interesting one you're going to talk to us about today. Um, balancing our own self-care while caring for others yeah. as well. Yeah. What what part of that is the issue? Is it that we don't sort well, of good morning, look after friend. Good morning to you, Susan. <laughs> good morning to you. I'd say uh, sometimes we get seen as carers, right? And we're coming into a very busy time now, right? Yes. Whether we're parents, whether we're caring for family. I think some people have taken on, I know some people take on the role because I would have been one of them myself. Uh, and it all comes from our childhood. When we're small, we get seen through caring. Yeah. So then we want to be seen. Yeah, we want to be loved. So that's our way of being seen and being loved. So we take on this role through life. And what it is, is it's... It's a conditional way of being loved, yeah, mm. because nobody sees me now, they see me as a carer. So now I have a label, yeah? And do I want a label? Do I want to be seen for me or do I want to be seen for a carer? And if I'm not in that secure place, right, I want to be seen, that's end of story. So if I'm seen as a carer or not, it's good because I'm seen. It's better than not being seen. So I'll take on these roles and I suppose what's important is to look at my response to different stuff, right? So if I say something like, are you great at spotting other people's uh, needs, right? Can you look at other people and say, oh God, they need this and I must go get this for them. And, you know, school is, if you have kids, you know, Mm. you'll know what that Mm. is, 110%. Running around the place like a headless chicken. And I think I brought this subject up today because this is the time back to school. And for a lot of people, we're heading back into the winter and it can be quite difficult. So I think it's so important to start taking care of yourself. And what I mean by that is look at how you you spot everybody else's needs, but are you lousy at spotting your own? Mm. So, you know, how is it? Can you see what you need or do you even know what that means? Do you know? Because some clients I'd have now would look at me and go, what do you mean by that? And what I mean by that is, can you sit with yourself and think, oh my God, am I exhausted right here, right now? Do I feel like I'm being dragged every which way? You know, do I feel like I have no support? You know, and I suppose that leads on to, I suppose, I suppose many women, I suppose, we look at self-care maybe as going getting our hair done or our nails done. That's not it. It is it if you want that. Do you know what I'm saying? That's part of it. But the real stuff is 
am I exhausted? Do I need sleep? Do I need to take time out to work out? You know, to keep myself fit. Do I need to um, go for a walk, read a book? Do I need just time on my own? And how is it for you then to ask for that? You know? Yeah, particularly, I suppose, if you've never asked for it. Yeah, and carers generally yeah. don't. Yeah. Because if you do, you're not seen then as a carer. It's very interesting. Yes, it's, it? it's, but it's like, I suppose for me, because that's how I, I saw myself as a carer, because I was always out there doing, yeah, for everybody else. And then I was kind of not doing for myself. Um, I suppose, you know, and even like it amazes me because we look at teenagers and we say, oh, the selfish teenager. Mm, mm. But sure, well, aren't they supposed to be taking care of themselves? Yes, of you course, know, that's yeah. what we want for them, you know. And I know they can be selfish. I know that. And don't mm, have to be, mm. you know. But I think... What we see as being selfish, as in care for self, we should reverse that. It's the most selfless thing you can do because you cannot, and I don't care who you are, you cannot be there for somebody else unless you're there for yourself. It's very interesting because in recent years, I I play for social dancing and it's very interesting, the mix of people that you meet. But I meet some people who may have spent the majority of their lives caring for somebody, whether it's a mother or a father, and then ended up with their own life sort of you know, being put on hold until they're in their 60s. And now they have to come out and try and meet people again and, and fill that void that's yeah, left there. Yeah, totally well. isolated. Yeah. And what do I do now? Because I don't know what it's like to mind myself or to care for myself or to love myself, you know, or to do things that I want to do. I don't even know where to start now because I'm whatever, 40, 50, 60 years, yes. you know, out there playing this role because that's how I got seen. And I think it's so hard for people who care for, like, parents or family, and then they pass away. And now I'm left with, as you say, this big void in my mm. life. How do I fill that now? And, like, you know, it took me a long time to see how I would fill it. And I suppose I see clients coming into me all the time, and it's so great to be able to sit with them and support them in it, because it means so much to them. And I suppose boundaries are huge, right? To be able to put a boundary in place and hold your boundary. And I suppose... For me, how I how how I how I describe this to some somebody when I support them is, you know, if if how is it for you to say no to somebody? How does that feel? Hmm. Can you say no to somebody? Well, I'm the world's worst. Yeah, at it. yeah. I'm really really bad at it. Yeah, which is why I'm flying around the place. Yeah, and what does that bring up in you then? Resentment, of course. Yeah, because yeah. when I'm saying yes to somebody else, I'm saying no to myself. Yeah. Not yeah. all the time, but if I'm doing it out of a necessity to be seen as a carer, I am, you yeah. know. And then where's this, where does that leave me, you know, in all of this? I'm not there then for myself, so I can't be there fully for anybody else. Because now I've resentment, as you said, or I have other feelings coming up like, oh, my God, I'm exhausted. I really want to do this because I want to help them. But, yeah, there's a but in it, yeah? Mm. So, like, you're not truly doing for them what you want to do for them. You're doing it out of a necessity to be seen. And that's not truly, you know, that's not unconditional, mm. is it? There's conditions attached to that then. But you mightn't realise that, Sue. Well, that's the whole point. Yeah. You know, so, like, when people come and sit with me, like, we'll have a chat around it, and I'll just ask them, like, how is it for you? Or they'll give me their story or a snippet of their story because you never know anyone's story. Mm. But, like, we'll, we'll have a chat and we'll see how it goes for them. And, like, lots of stuff will come up. Like, they'll say, you know... Um, First, like what 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 it is is we kind of get the safety going first because generally people won't reveal too much when they come first. Mm. They have to feel that sense of I'm safe here. I there's no trust. judgment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because judgment is huge. Yeah? yeah, because I've been judged all my life. Now that's why I am a carer. <laughs> yeah, mm. that's the bottom line. I had to fit into this little, uh, I suppose, role and play it. And the thing about it is, is uh, I suppose other things to look at is 
uh, tell others how you feel. Like if you had to tell someone, I feel overwhelmed doing this. How does that sit then? Mm. Can mm. you say to somebody, I need help? You know, and um, that can be so hard. I know for me, I, oh, I was allergic to asking somebody for help because I thought that that was failure. Yes. You know, yeah. and I think all that kind of stuff is wrapped up in it. Um, and just remember, I'm not responsible for meeting the needs of others. I'm responsible for meeting my own needs. That's hugely important. Yes. That you is know? huge. Huge. It's it's everything. And if we could even sit with that, that just that one line yes. and think about it. You know, I am not responsible for anybody else's needs. I'm responsible for my own. Now, I do know when we have smallies, yeah, we have to get them to 18. So there are certain needs around that we're responsible for, yeah? Mm. Uh, I, I would also say it's not my job to like tell them what to do constantly like it's you leave go of that bit by bit so mm. that when they get to 18 they have their own resilience and their own you know they're, they're mm. solid in themselves and they'll know you know but the best example you can give to your kids and I, you just have to model it and I, like that's the you know if you model this behaviour everybody around you will pick up on it you might lose some people along the way because they'll be upset because you're no longer their carer yeah you're but, no longer but so be it well you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I guarantee you they'll learn from it somewhere along the line. And when you say their carer, you mean that in the large sense. In the like large the, sense. The, these aren't people who are disabled or something. No, you, no. people who, who... Who rely on you because this is what you do. Yeah. You yeah. you know, someone will call you up and say, oh, can you can you pick up this for me? Can you do that for me? Can you pick up my child? Can you run here? Can you run there? Can you do this? And you, oh, yeah, no bother at all. And meanwhile, you're going, how am I going to fit all that in? But you said yes. Yeah. So now you're saying no to yourself. Hmm. And and the reason that we're saying yes there, even though it's to our own detriment, is what we want to be liked, we want to be loved. We want to fit in, we want to be loved, we want to belong. Okay. We want to belong. Our deepest need is to belong and be loved. That's that's our deepest need. Yeah. yeah. Because we're social creatures, we need to fit in. We need to have somebody, you know, that we that loves us and sees us and, and that comes from childhood. Mm. Yeah. And for most of us we don't get that. Not to the not to the degree that we need it. And you know? how do you help people through the reaction to that then, Susan? Because I mean, if I've been that person all along, and all of a sudden now I'm beginning to say no, how do you get them through that? Because that that's well, see, it's never at my pace. Yeah, right, yeah. it's at the anybody who comes to me, right? Anybody I support, it's always at their play, pace and led by them. You know, mm. so I would never say to somebody, you need to go out there now and tell him no, you know, because that's not how it works. Sure, I need to be feeling solid in myself before I do that. Mm. So it's important to see how it's what's going on for you inside, what feelings are coming up. We need to explore what the past was so that we can resolve the present. Yeah, the old cliche, of course, is in the event of an issue on an aeroplane. I mean, they say when the oxygen masks come down, yeah. make sure that you secure your own first before mm. you can help anybody else. And, that, and that's that's the, that's that it, is the most beautiful, uh, you know, metaphor for it. Like when yeah. you think about it, because it is it. That's just what it is. It's I cannot support anybody else unless I'm supportive myself. Because I like I have so many people who come to see me and they sit with me and they're exhausted. You know, they're at the bottom of the barrel. They're just like, I'm I'm the last person to come in to see. They've they've been to the doctor, they've been they're on tablets, they're you know what I mean? They're just at the bottom of the barrel. But see, because I suppose uh people don't hear this side of it or look at it from a different perspective, you know, it, like we're brought up this way. We're brought up our parents were brought up that way. They're passing on what they what they learned. Now we're passing on what we learned. I don't want um, people to be under pressure to do stuff for me. I don't want to be under pressure to do stuff for people. 
if if I ask somebody to do something, that's a request. It's not a demand, mm. you know. And if someone asks me, they can make a request to me. But if I can't do it, I should be allowed to say, no, sorry, I can't meet that need. Because it is that person's need. You know what I mean? If you can't meet it, that's OK. We would have spoken to many people over the years who become carers overnight, whether it's because the spouse gets a stroke or yeah. some other uh, situation like that and what we hear is that there's not an awful lot of yeah. help there Susan and that's so, a whole different ballgame yeah. altogether that's but still yeah. you, you need you to, need support you, you need, need to look after yourself of course you, you do yeah. and like I know and I hear it the whole time that you know, it's so difficult to get support for somebody who's caring for family members or caring for stuff and like I know that the, the carers in Clamel they're very good mm. but um, I just think there's not enough resources out there for families I'd say that hand and heart Um I think that we still need to find a way. Mm. We still need, whether it's calling in family members, whether it's calling in, because we got to realise too uh, that it, there'll be, if there's five in the family, we'll all take on different roles, mm. right? There'll be one of them that's the main carer, right, yeah. as children. And what will happen is that main carer will take on most of the responsibility if a parent gets sick, right? So then what happens is that's the, that's the carer then, right? But like... That that one person can't do all that. You still need to care for yourself in it because you just you'll go in every day. You'll be exhausted. Things will upset you. Do you know what I mean? You mm. won't be solid in yourself going in there. It won't be something that you feel that you really really want to be there. You'll feel like you're under mm. obligation to. But be the there. rest of the family system will let you do it. Oh well, that's where the boundaries come yeah. in. Yeah, that's mm. where I need to assert myself. That's where I need to say, well, listen here now, you know, I'm not able to do this by myself. But see, as carers, a lot of us can't ask for help because mm. we've never asked for it. And we see it as a failure because that's what's been drilled into us from childhood because we took on this mm. role. So just do it, pull your socks up and get on with it. That's kind of the attitude that we were brought up with. But now there's a whole different uh, way to look at it, a perspective. I'm one person. I can only do so mm. much. So I do need support. And I know for some people, they are the only person. And that's, you know, another yes. thing altogether. But that's sort of what I was saying to you when you said, you know, that you make sure that the person takes it at their own pace. But I mean, if you've always been the carer and all of a sudden you're asking for help or you're making a point, well, I can't do this. Yeah. They will look at you differently. Um they will. I mean, you have to be prepared for that, I guess. Yeah, and it's 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 slowly, slowly. It's yeah. it's you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Mm, <laughs> it's kind of yeah. like that. And what I find is people get it very quickly, though. They get and they get when they when they when they look at and sit and talk about and when they feel safe enough to talk about how it was for them as a child and how they took on this role and things that may have influenced that. Like they get it quite well. So if we don't understand where it's coming from, we haven't a hope of doing nothing about it. So the first step is to understand how did I take on this role? Where did where did I start? How did I get seen this way? And what did it do for me? Because it's not that it's a bad thing, because it was like a protector, right? Mm, so it mm. minded me the whole way up along. So that's how I'd see it. I'd see it that all those labels that we took on, all the stuff we do, it's a protector. And that's what it did. It helped us get through life in our yes. family of origin. Do, do women come out worse from this? Um, in my experience, um, yeah. I would say so because I suppose um, traditionally women would have the carer role anyway when it yeah. comes to children and stuff. I see like men are, you know, jumping in now and there's no you know, two ways about it. They've been great. And before, I don't think they were nearly allowed to take it mm. on, you know. Mm. But um, It wasn't their domain. No, yeah. they weren't allowed yeah. to go there, you yeah. know. 
um, and they were the roles that were set in place. But now men are starting to take on the caring role. And I don't think it's um, a gender based thing. I, I just think that, you know, people are people. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We come into situations. Now, I do think that the whole thing about male and female, they do kind of gear the boys towards stuff years ago and the girls towards the other. Yeah. But it seems to be balanced out a small bit more now. But um, yeah, I just think that it's so difficult for people who are in that position of not seeing it from a different perspective and not realize, you know, coming to the realization. And I see that as seen with realize that it's okay to say no, that it's okay to ask for help, that it's okay to put yourself on your to do list on the very top of it. But that, that's that's fine. That's yeah. that's that's brilliant. And have you seen? And I, I know the answer to this, but I mean, have you seen lives being turned around by this? Oh, oh look, I, I'm so privileged to sit with people, and um, I don't like. I would not be able to do this job unless I worked on myself and went on the journey mm. myself. But it's such a privilege to sit with people, and it's like the light bulb moment, you know. And you know, you know. They just go, oh, my God, you know, I see this. I, I understand it now. Sure, that's where I came from. And then to have that lovely compassion for yourself as a child, mm. you know. And I'll often say to people, you know, I, I was I found it very difficult to see myself as a child. Like if I saw children, I'd be all compassion and mm. all love and all hugs yes, and all, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And then how is it that we can't see the same for adults? Do you know, it, it's I came to that conclusion relatively recently as well because, I, again, I went on a bit of a journey to discover why I'm, nutcase most of the time but it's it's kind of interesting that we might think that we're a bit intelligent and we miss out stuff like this all our for most of our lives you know it's consciousness though you know what i mean yeah, it's not intelligence sure well, it's being I conscious see, i see it's conscious. being conscious i see it like you know i think like even when people talk about knowledge and intelligence yes, right yeah. i think that they're hugely different yeah. like we're all bo- born intelligent yeah. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter where you come from. Like you'll see people there, they're so streetwise. You'll see other people, they'd buy and sell you. You know, you'll hear yeah, those expressions. Yeah. And like, but there's like this knowledge thing. And I suppose we do it in our schools. And it wouldn't be, to me, it doesn't sit 100% right. But we shove all this, read all these books. And I do believe reading books and doing stuff mm. like that is amazing. And yeah. everybody should give it a lash. But I think that that's knowledge. Yes. That's not so much intelligence. And it's not consciousness. Certainly not. Consciousness is going inward, not outward. Yeah, that's very interesting. If people want to talk to you, Susan, if they want to um, make time with you, how can they do that? Sure. My number is 086 and my email is uh, emotionalwellbeing.ie. Very good. So that's 086 And if you miss that, uh, Emma will have it anyway. Great to see you as always, Susan. Thanks, Thanks, friend. thanks Pleasure. very much indeed. We'll take a break. Back in just a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Now on Saturday, September 16th, uh, Nina welcomes a national, international and local lineup of some of the best known names in Irish music to St. Mary's of the Rose. Uh, church. Now, the artists include
Don Lunny and Friends and his friends are just wonderful artists, people like Sean Davy and Rita Connolly, Cora Venus Lunny, uh, Donald's daughter, and uh, the wonderful David Brophy as well, and uh, David is principal conductor of the RTE uh, Concert Orchestra. To tell us more about uh, this event and indeed where the proceeds are going, I'm delighted to be joined by Ailish Cleary and Kathleen O'Mara. Good morning to you both. And thank Good you morning. Hi, friend. Thank you for coming on with us today. Um, Elish, can I go to you first of all on this because uh, you're one of the founder members of the A-Team and proceeds uh, going to the A-Team. Will you tell me about the A-Team and what exactly uh, it's about? Yes, yes, I'd love to, Fran. And I think the best the best place to actually start is, is the story of how it started, which is it's around two years now, actually, when this happened, which is basically... Um, I, I have a daughter with autism and um, two years ago I was upstairs folding laundry and I looked out the window and I saw my, I could, I heard my daughter laughing like I'd never heard her laugh before. And I went straight to the window to see what was happening. And she was outside playing with Mia, who was a new girl who'd moved into the estate who had autism as well. Mm. And the two of them were doing this like silly kind of like chicken dance and they were like laughing their heads off. And I just couldn't take my eyes off them because it was the first time I'd seen Neve like truly be herself. And I just had this thought like, thank God she's made a friend. And because Neve would often say to me, Mammy, when am I going to make a friend? Mm. And I'd say, Neve, you only need one friend and it will happen someday. And right there it was happening. And I was so grateful that she'd met Mia. And I and I really got that they got each other, mm. like they just got each other, you know, at a different level. And I said to myself, like, this should be there for all kids. Like, is there some way that like they can meet each other? You know, what kids that have autism. Yes. So I I just decided then I put down the laundry and walked across the green over to Emma, who I knew knew everything about autism, and just kind of pitched this idea to her. I said how can we, you know, how can we make this happen? And um, that was two years ago. And now we have 150 members. We're currently one of the largest youth clubs in Ireland. Um, We have five different age groups. We have 70 volunteers. Um, We run, like, hundreds of activities every year. And, like, all of it happens just from literally that, just looking out the window and seeing what was possible. And I think that that was one of the things when this club started, I kind of really got that we can make this happen, you know, as a a community, as a team. Like, if we can come together as parents, we can make this happen ourselves, you know. And we have because, like, there's just been so much, like, so much generosity in people in terms of, like, giving their time, volunteering, like, the all the... Everyone, our parents... um, it's just it's just been it's just been an amazing journey and it's made such a difference like the difference it has made is like it it really creates a difference to the parents and to the kids and the young adults in the sense that we really have created a a space where they can be understood because i think a lot of the time with autism and certainly my experience of how my daughter um you know is autistic is that they see the world and experience the world a little bit differently you know, from people who don't have autism. Some of that is sensory related. You know, they they might hear things more acutely or they might, you know, like some environments can be a bit more like difficult or more challenging to deal with. And 
what I've really got is that like the world like really isn't set up for them and maybe if we could bring more understanding and create more spaces where the world can meet them where they are um and I think that's what we do in the U club like whatever way they are it's fine like if if a kid comes in and they they need to look out the window at rain for like 10 minutes that's fine no one's going to do or say anything if they need to come in for three sessions and just watch and do nothing that's fine like whatever way they are is perfect and and that's the main thing that they're free to be whoever they are what a beautiful description indeed, Ailish. I could sit and listen to you all day. Uh, proceeds from this wonderful event, and we'll hear from Kathleen in a moment about the event, but what will this mean to you? Because I, you have a premises at the moment, do you? Or you have, you have use of a premises at the moment. Yes, yes, yes. So, like, Rehab Care um, have been super generous in that they have a premises in Nina, and we, we've been allowed to use that at evenings and weekends. And that's been just an absolute lifeline. Um, and but one of the because we got so big so quickly, you know, um, like without any kind of there was no advertising, it was pure just word of mouth mm. parents telling each other because it was such a need. And I think as well, just I, I wanted to share that like some of our members, like maybe haven't been able to continue in school, or you know, one of our members hadn't actually left their room in three years because of COVID, you know, hadn't left their house. And this is a space where they can actually socialize and meet people that they maybe wouldn't meet on a day-to-day basis you know but um but one of the things we quickly realized was that the premises just wasn't because the numbers are so big and and especially the smaller the junior groups like we have 30 or 40 kids in those groups like they need lots of space so we've been hiring like the gymnastics we've been going for horse riding boxing like Mm. circus training but like but really what we've got is we, we need our own permanent designated premises. Very good. So and the funds will go towards that, uh, I guess, Elish. Yeah, and we have, we have, like, we have, re- we have an agreement now with Youth Work Ireland Tipperary, like, they have come on board with us, they, they're going to help us find this, you know, source this premises in Nina. Yeah. Kathleen, will you tell me about this wonderful event then that uh, will raise funds, of course, uh, Ballycommon sponsored right in there as well with uh, Albert Purcell as well, I know. That's right. It's been jointly organised by Albert Bellicommon Sponsored Ride and the A-Team. And it's happening, as you said, in St. Mary of the Rosary Church in Nina, the Catholic Church in Nina, which is a terrific venue. Mm. And and we've had it there before. And the lineup is amazing. And before I go on, I want to say as well, we have the Tune for Life Orchestra led by Ned Kelly, a really special uh, orchestra of, of young people playing traditional music, a very, very unique uh, a, a very unique thing you know we don't have traditional orchestras and Ned had a vision of this and, and set it up 10 years ago and it's 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 going really well it was, we were there last year mm. with the Celtic Tenors and this year we have the most amazing lineup, like I said Donal Lunny who's one of the outstanding figures of Irish traditional and folk music and I was thinking you know when we lost Sinead O'Connor there you know a number of weeks back we often don't appreciate like the extraordinary people we have around Irish music, and and Donal Lunny is one of them. Like he's mm. been one of the outstanding, most innovative um, musicians in Ireland for decades well, now. For my and money, Kathleen, the giant of Irish yes. traditional music, I think I would yes. put up him up there with Orieta and and all the greats, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He yeah. definitely is up there with all of it. Now I saw this lineup myself actually mm. last year in Clifton, mm. and it was an amazing night. And that's what I said. Don't miss it. It's it's just going to be an amazing night because collaboration with uh, Sean Davy and Rita Connolly mm. and David Brophy and Cora Venus Lunny 
it's an extraordinary lineup, and to have that in Nina, uh, you know, for the Nina audience, is just a really, really amazing opportunity. And then with with Ned Kelly and the Intune for Life Orchestra as well, it's going to be a great night. Um, it's we're having a, a wine reception ahead of it, so um, and tickets are selling strongly. Tickets are selling well. So I really would encourage people to get down to Easton's and Nina if they can, or Slattery's across the street. Um, and if they can get to Nina, they should ring Albert on yes. 087-243-0546. Okay, and again, we, we'll have that number here again, but just one more. It's 087-243-0546 to book. Yes. Ticket. And not to patronise people, Kathleen, but this is a once in a... <laughs> in a long time of an opportunity to see an amazing musical event. I really want to get that oh, across. This is going to be... Well, yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's going to be amazing and yeah. it's going to be unique. And for us and Nina to have this lineup, like you say, Donald Lunny is one of the... I mean, he really is an uh, international stature. He was a former... He's a founder member, as we know, of Plankstie, of the Bothy Band, mm. of Moving Hearts. Yeah. All those huge con- contributors. Uh, Sean Davey and Rita Connolly, the Brendan Voyage, mm. That beautiful, and I'm, I'm sure they will play, but they, I mean, every, the whole auditorium was in tears last year in Clifton when they played that beautiful anthem from the um, from the Special Olympics, mm. May We Never Say Goodbye, yeah, with Rita Connolly's extraordinary voice, you know. And then, of course, we have David Brophy, that big bundle of energy of, of, of <laughs> David Brophy He's as well. Marvelous. And uh, Cora yeah, Lunny, of is. course. Cora is a concert Cora violinist, Lunny, uh, yeah. an amazing musician yeah. as well. Yeah. Yes, in, in, yeah, classical violinist, uh, in her own right, you know, young woman as well has already had a great career. So, you know, it's a, it's just, it's, it's, oh. I'm really, really looking forward to it. And like I say, people who want to go, they should get their tickets soon because we don't have, you know, we've sold a lot of tickets. We still have about 100 tickets left. So, you know, yes. really encourage people to get in oh, there right. to Easton's or Saturdays well, or to I, ring I, Albert I, and I, book a ticket. Right, I'm just about out of time, but just to give Albert's number again, that's 087-243-0546 or indeed Easton's or Slattery's, as you say, Kathleen, in Nina. Alicia, Kathleen, we'll keep, we'll keep reminding people about this until you have a sellout, but I know it's going to be a sellout. Well done to everybody involved. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, Thank friends. you. Thank you both. Bye bye. Elish Cleary and Kathleen O'Mara there. That's it for me. Emma produced um, Stevens on the way with the time tunnel. And I will talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves. Bye bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.